For me, it began in 1992 with an ending. I was five years old and happened upon a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. From that moment forward, the Man of Steel has been my favorite character. And now on this podcast, I'm exploring my fandom and examining the creative visions that have shaped the last son of Krypton across media for over 80 years. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato, and joining me to discuss the Jeff Loeb run on Superman Batman is returning guest, comic book artist, V. Ken Marion. Hey, what's up, Anthony? Thanks for having me. My pleasure, man. This has been your episode from the start. So, you know, you and I have talked about this off mic, uh, but I'll share with, with the audience. I have like a pretty insane spreadsheet uh, on my computer mapping out episodes for this podcast. No joke. I have the entire year, the entire year's worth of episodes planned out. Like there's a little wiggle room here and there, but I pretty much have everything, uh, you know, kind of locked and loaded for the year. And then beyond that, I have probably a good three to four years worth of, of episodes beyond that. So I'm planning a long, you know, hopefully a long run uh, with this, but I've got this massive spreadsheet that I'm working on. And I knew that we were going to do Superman, Batman. I mean, I started this podcast after you and I did the premiere episode. I did two episodes on the Jeff Loeb era of the main Superman titles, which was my favorite period as a Superman reader. And then, of course, after Loeb left the main Superman book, he launched this Superman Batman series. So it was inevitable that we were going to get to this. And the reason why this episode was yours, <laughs> yours from the start, is that, you know, comics by nature, right, as a visual medium, it's art driven. But this run in particular, I felt was so built in terms of story and marketing, like so built around Loeb's artistic collaborators. And I figured for you as an artist yourself, you know, I assumed correctly, as it turned out, that you were a fan of this run. And then I also just felt like you would have so like such interesting insight to bring to this as an artist. So I'm so glad that we're doing this. Oh, dude, I'm psyched. Yeah, I can't wait. This is um, I'm sure we'll get into it. But this is like th these four volumes are awesome. Like, I, mean, I don't know how deep you want to get into it yet, but like, I'm really happy that we did this. And I've got a bunch of like art related questions and topics that we can talk about too. So I'm, I'm really psyched about it. Thanks for having me on for it. That's no, that's awesome. So yeah, just in case anyone is unfamiliar with, with what we're talking about, uh, Jeff Loeb wrote the first 26, uh, issues of the Superman Batman series that launched in the, in the early two uh, thousands, you're holding up, uh, four trades. I have it now collected in two trades. They've done a bunch of different editions over the years, but the arcs in particular that we're going to be talking about are, Public Enemies with art by Ed McGinnis, Supergirl with art by the late, great Michael Turner, Absolute Power with art by Carlos Pacheco, and then uh, the final arc that Loeb did with a vengeance uh, with McGinnis once again uh, on art duty. So those are the four arcs uh, that we're going to be talking about here. Wait, is, is your volume four titled with a vengeance? So I actually have, I have these these 26 issues collected in uh, two trade paperbacks. DC did different editions. So okay. I have one trade that collects uh, the first two arcs as well as, and actually that's a good, that's a good point. Uh, in between a couple of the arcs, there were like little interlude issues. And so you and I are going to do a, uh, a bonus Patreon episode uh, on issue number seven, which had art by Pat Lee and was this like Superboy Robin team up issue. So uh, that was one of those interlude issues. And, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I have it collected a little bit differently than you do. Okay, yeah, because the my volume for trade just is called Vengeance. So that'd be interesting. That's interesting that they like switched it. 
for like the bigger, bigger collection. Well, it's funny too, because unless I've completely got my wires crossed, the inaugural arc that is widely known as public enemies Mm -hmm. and you know, the animated adaptation was public enemies is actually called world's finest in the actual pages of the comic. Really? Yeah. I'm looking right now. Oh, they, they must've taken it out. Cause they don't have the, the title. Are you talking about like in the single issues? Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause they, they took that out. They took, I, cause I didn't even notice that reading it, but yeah, they, they took that, they took out that, uh, like the, the credits page out of it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It was, dude, you know, what's crazy when I was reading this, I was like, this is almost 20 years old. This when the series launched, which makes me feel so old, but yeah, it's crazy. That's it. No, I felt the same way. And it's man, like I remember this. I remember this so vividly when it came out. I was working at my old comic shop, Alternate Realities. And I've told this story on my other podcast, my comic shop history. But I remember, you know, as you likely remember, and and I know they're collected, you know, there were two covers for, you know, I think most of those early issues, you know, one that was Batman centric and one that was Superman centric. And, uh, you know, the series itself, of course, is called Superman slash Batman. But my bright idea and Steve, the owner of the store, went along with it. I was like, why don't we put the Batman covers under B with the Batman books and the Superman cover under S with the Superman books? Right. Because maybe you maybe you get someone who's really only into one of those characters, but but this would catch their attention. And he went with it. And I think it was successful. And I overall, I stand by the basic idea. But in retrospect, I, I was I was like, I wonder if I confused people. I wonder if someone like bought it twice, not realizing that <laughs> that it was the same book. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I know. I was in high school. Excuse me. I was in high school when this first came out. I think I was in ninth grade or 10th grade <clears throat> or be, end of ninth grade, beginning of 10th grade, somewhere in there. And I remember when I first came out, I didn't realize like the variant cover thing, you know, back then. So like <clears throat> I, when I saw both, both issues, I was like, oh, wow. Like I thought it was two issues. I thought it was two comics that came out on the same day. So that's funny that you said that. Yeah, I know it's funny, but I like I have such a vivid memory of that. So I, I remember when it came out and, you know, I was there for it. I, you know, again, I, I did two full episodes on this podcast about the the Loeb era of the of the Superman titles, uh, you know, with Our Worlds at War and President Lex and Return to Krypton and Y2K, Emperor Joker, like all that stuff. And I enjoyed it. So I was really excited when Loeb, you know, launched this book. Now, refresh my memory. You you have not read that period of Superman comics, right? I've read like <clears throat> issues here and there gotcha. um, and I had a, a <clears throat> one trade of it somewhere in that run. Like, you know, when they made the trades in the mid two thousands, like I had one of those trades. So I think I, in that run, there was like one McGinnis issue and there was, I think Pasquale Ferry was one of the guys, like it was like in that arc. Uh, yeah. So I've read like smatterings of it, but not the whole thing all the way through. No, which is funny because when I was reading this, cause I like, I, I haven't read these in, got to be like 10 years, probably like when I've got these trades was like in 2010 ish. So that's probably when I last read this. And, um, in my head, like Lex Luthor being the president is like such a important part of that character and probably from Smallville too, from watching Smallville, but it like, I listening to your podcast and like reading this, I like, I totally forgot that like, this is the end of him being the president. Like, but like in my head, it's like, it's so cemented because like in Hush, he's the president, you know? And like, so like, like, even though he was only the president in the comics for probably like what, like three years, maybe if that, like in my head, it's like such a integral part of his character, like that he like becomes president and Superman fights him when he, you know what I mean? Like, so I just find it really, really interesting that 
the, the things that we like build in our heads as being like super important, like parts of the character or like what, what we like first tethered to, you know? For sure. No, I mean, I, I completely get that. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I mean, I think prior to rereading that original Loeb era and rereading this, I think if you had asked me, you know, like, you know, how long was Lex president in the comics and how much play did it get? I think I probably would have had an overinflated sense of that for exactly the same reason, you know, you just described. So mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, cause Smallville, it was funny because Smallville touched on it and like in Hush touched on it. And like, I feel like all the comics of that time, like I think one of the flash issues mentioned it and stuff. So like it definitely permeated like that whole era, like pretty deeply, you know? So yeah, totally. So I know the answer to this. I, I believe, but for our audience, what of these four arcs that we're going to be discussing, uh, which is your favorite and why? Uh, definitely the Michael Turner one, um, mainly because it was besides his covers to flash. This was like my introduction to him as an artist. And then that's when I discovered his, like his style and like went in through wizard magazine, like found out that he did this thing called Witchblade and fathom and like found like his whole, like, um, his whole, like, art basically his whole art like which has become super influential to me um and one of the reasons i wanted to become an artist um but yeah that's definitely my favorite and but but i really like the ed mcginnis stuff too so very close to that would be the volume one like so volume one and two volume two then volume one are my and then it would be volume four and then volume three is my of, of the four of them volume three is probably my least favorite but um but yeah definitely the michael turner one is my favorite what about you Gotcha. So for me, my favorite is uh, is Public Enemies, is the first arc uh, of this run, followed very closely by the Supergirl arc. So we're 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 in line in terms of how we how we would kind of divide this run. And you know, we'll we'll get into this. And, and you know, but it it's it's funny to me looking at these four arcs because man, do I love the first two. I love the first two, and it just felt like. Both then, as as the books were coming out, but also even now, rereading them, it felt like those were the event books. Like those were the th- those were the books where DC history was being made. Right, Public Enemies had this real big bit of business to take care of as far as Lex being president, and they did that. And you know, it was huge blockbuster action, and and so much of the DC universe was involved. And uh, and again, just this story thread of Lex being president was you know was was a big part of you know the the DC universe. And then in the Supergirl arc, we have the, the reintroduction of Kara Zor-El, you know, who had been gone since Crisis. You know, we had a different version of Supergirl. But, like, you know, they were these huge stories that had real actual major impacts on, you know, on continuity and, and the DC universe. And then in the second half, <laughs> the, the final two arcs, we have all this timeline and universe hopping, and it's all over the place. And uh, so... Uh, you know, it's just okay. interesting to me. So I know we talked about this briefly before how you said you like the second half a lot less. I actually, the volume four, because I just finished reading that say, I think I like that more than you did. Like I actually really had fun with volume four. It's definitely not like, like a universe grounded event kind of thing, but I think it's a fun, definitely a fun twist. Like, like with the, like a fun twist in the Marvel characters and you get Joker and, and um, Mixel click in there and like, it's just like a fun comic and there's so much like big bombastic stuff happening that like, I find that one really fun, even though it's not a, like doesn't alter the DC world the same way the other two do the first two do, but, um, absolute power is the one I was like, eh, I don't really, cause I, I, 
I don't like the trope of like the heroes turning bad. Like that's just not something that I'm into is, and like, it just, I just didn't find that one like super fun, you know? Um, but I did like the fourth one. Yeah. Good. No, I'm glad you did. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, it, it, it didn't blow me away, but it's, you know, I, I would never want to, you know, take away from your enjoyment or, or the audience's enjoyment of it. If people like it, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I will say with both absolute power and with the vengeance, I, I think I enjoyed them more as they were coming out, you know? So maybe it's a matter yeah. of, for me, they didn't hold up that great up, you know, upon reread, but I certainly had fun mm. with them at the time. I think, because I, I really was giving this a lot of thought and I think to really pinpoint what my issue was, I think, you know, where Loeb is at his best is where he's writing from the heart and really showing the humanity of these characters. And, you know, as much as those first two arcs do have big, you know, uh, ramifications in the DC universe, they're still grounded so much, I felt, in the examination of the relationship between Clark and Bruce. And and then even more so in the Supergirl arc, you know, Clark dealing with, you know, the fact that he's now no longer the sole survivor of the planet Krypton. Like, you know, there was there was some emotion there in the midst of all this blockbuster action. Like, I felt it was actually a really nice balance. And I just didn't find that balance and heart and humanity in those second two arcs. I think that's kind of what it came down to for me. They were fun. I will, you know, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't uh, dispute that. They were fun. And again, initially, I think I, you know, I, I got a little bit more uh, of a kick out of them, but rereading them, yeah, that was the main issue that I think I had. Yeah. I mean, dude, I love the personal, the, um, the character, the, the personalities, like the characterization of both Batman and Superman and his, his take. Like I was thinking about this today, like this is my version of these characters, like how he's, how they're written. Um, like if I was going to tell people, like if there's anything you need to know about Superman and Batman, I would give them these four trades, birthright and hush. Like that would be like my, like just, this is everything for Superman and Batman for, for me, for how I see the characters. Um, because like, I love that both Superman and Batman are, they're heroic and good, but they're not perfect. Right. And like, I think that's something that sometimes gets lost when dealing with these characters like Superman. He he's, he's a noble, good person, but like he definitely like has a bit of a temper. Like he's not, he doesn't always have the right answer. He's he's, he tries, he makes mistakes, but like he, he tries to correct, you know what I mean? Like, and he, he he's, he's not like this, like godlike messiah character that like never messes up. Right. Like he like definitely has like internal monologues where he's like, like I, I think against dark side where he's like thinking about killing dark side. Cause like he gets, he gets angry. Right. Like, so like, and then same thing with Batman, like Batman, it's very easy for stories to make him almost infallible. Like where he, he always wins. You, you never think he's going to lose. Like he ha always has every answer. He's, he, he's on top of everything. He's the smartest one in the room, no matter what. And like, to me, that almost makes him kind of boring. Like this, this version of Batman was so, it, like reading this again. It made me remember why I liked Batman so much. It was because like, he doesn't always have the right answers. He like when he fights dark side, like he doesn't know if that plan is going to work. Like he actually has it. He's like, he's, he's, he says something to the effect of like, this is like a, like a hail Mary. Like he doesn't use those exact words, but it's like, it's like a hail Mary plan that he's got to set the bombs on apocalypse. Like he doesn't know if that's going to work or not. Like, I like the idea of them being more like human in the sense that, they're not these like infallible, perfect beings. Like they, 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 they have emotions like, like a normal person, like, but compound that with like the crazy, most awesome bombastic action that you can imagine was in these, these books. So like, this is definitely my preferred version of the characters, like 
basically like bar none, like what's in these, like in terms of like how they're characterized, you know, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I really think, you know, as fun as this run is, I mean, it really is that the dynamic between the two of them, the exploration of the relationship, uh, you know, and, and the exploration of the characters individually too, and what they bring out in each other. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, you know, what I, what I like about the Clark Bruce, and I call them Clark and Bruce, right? As much as it's Superman, Batman. Uh, what I like about the, the way they're, relationship is depicted in this and this is my really the my sort of definitive view of them as well is it's born you know so much out of that mutual respect right where because i was thinking about this you know there are certainly characters in the dc universe you know a kyle rayner or wally west you know they look up to superman right they revere superman it puts them on a different like they're not quite on the same playing field right, within the, the hierarchy of the DC universe. But Superman and Batman, despite Batman not having any powers, like they, they, can, they can stand next to each other, the stature that they both have in the DC universe. And, you know, I was thinking about this too, you know, like I could see Barry Allen and Clark Kent grabbing a, a light beer or a coffee and bonding over, you know, coming from the Midwest. You wouldn't necessarily see that with like Clark and Bruce, necessarily but it's that respect it's just that mutual respect that seems to be the foundation of of the relationship that the two of them have and and the trust and you see that especially in the fight scenes uh in in these stories and in public enemies in particular the shorthand that they have and just the you know the instant trust and they're willing to go along with with the other's plan uh i just dug that so much yeah totally totally agree with everything you said i do think it's funny that I do feel like the series, like well, comics in general, I think, like I love Batman, don't get me wrong, but I feel like they definitely elevate him through the narrative more than like he technically should be. Like, like you know, in the in volume three, when the, um, we can get into volume three, but like the people from the future come back and like, they basically make Superman and Batman like fascist rulers because they think they're the two most powerful beings. Like, why would they think Batman's one of the most powerful beings? Like, I like that that's part of the dichotomy of like Batman that like I, I like him better when he's just the dude and like kind of depicted as such. And that's why I like most of these trades is because that is one of the big emphasis of this is that it's made very clear that Batman is not even close to the same power level as Superman, but because he is smart and can think on his feet, he can like keep up. But when push comes to shove, Superman is still like does most of the heavy lifting, right? Like that, that is shown in this, but like, but it's the, like it, it, but it's his smarts that get him, get him through, but not like in like a ridiculous way. You know, it's not like in a, I calculated 959 different ways we could do, you know, it's like in like a realistic way ish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. That's actually, Again, not to, you know, not not to keep dumping on absolute power, but I do ha like there are specific issues that I have with it. And one, this goes back to what you were saying before. I want to just kind of flesh it out a little bit more because I think the point you raised was exactly the problem that I had with this story, which is we've seen a lot of stories with Superman in particular where, you know, whether it's, you know, Justice League, the nail, it's like, you know, what happens if, you know, he's, you know, he's never found by the Kents or uh, there was that Elseworlds, the dark side where he's raised by dark side on apocalypse and Superman, the mm -hmm. animated series that, you know, they did an adaptation of that. Of course, Red Sun is the you know classic example. What if he was raised, you know, in, in Soviet Russia? So I just feel like we've had a lot of stories where Superman's raised by someone else 
right? And I feel like those stories did a better job of building out those worlds, like really fleshing that out because that was, you know, what they were all there for. Uh, So I just didn't feel like Absolute Power really had all that much to offer that was new or really insightful. It's like, oh, if Superman and Batman were raised by villains, they'd be bad. It's like, oh, you don't say. You know, it just felt like, (laughs) I I don't know, it just... um, that that aspect of it uh, really, I just felt like, and especially since we only had Loeb, you know, for these few arcs, it's like, I wish, you know what I wish they had done? Hmm. Because for these, really all four stories, um, it, it was really more of a Superman book with Batman, right? Like a mm-hmm. lot of these things, dealing with President Lex, dealing with Supergirl, dealing with Legion of Superhero Villains, dealing with Mixius Pitalik. It was really very Superman-centric and a lot of instance, every instance basically where Batman is, you know, out of his depth, out of his element, you know, and holding his own and using his mind and, and all of that. But I thought it would have been really interesting if maybe instead of Absolute Power, we had had an arc where it was kind of flipped, where it was more, you know, Clark maybe helping Bruce investigate a, a crime or something like that, like kind of flipping the script a little bit. Uh, I think that would have been cool. What do you think? Yeah, that would have been cool. I mean, I think the, the, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you have any info on like the production notes of this, but I, if I remember like when this launched, it was supposed to be like the, the blockbuster kind of like big time action movie comic book. Like that's kind yeah. of what I remember the marketing being. And just by that nature, I think you, if that was the direction they were going with the book, I think you kind of had to make it like a Superman book that Batman was in just because like, you don't really make like a big bombastic, like blockbuster movie out of like a mystery, you know, like, like to you, that, that I feel like, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, wasn't that like the marketing behind this book that it was like the, the big time, big action superhero book. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I'm pretty sure that was, that was the idea. No, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and that, might very well explain why they went in the direction they did. And, you know, I guess we have the benefit of hindsight and almost 20 years and looking back on these stories and it's like, Hey, like, you know, it was okay. But you know, if, uh, if we were only going to get four arcs from Loeb, yeah, it would have been interesting, I think, to kind of, you know, have the flip of that, but you're right. I don't think that would have really fit what, uh, what the vibe, you know, and the scale and the scope of this was supposed to be, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to keep, you know, I want to talk about the art. Um, you had a question for me. Do you, do you want to pose it now or, or do you want to yeah. wait? Cause I'm, the Superman question or the other question I had for you. The, yeah. About the super, about the Superman artists. Well, okay. Okay. Well, let me, let me, let me ask the other question first. Go for okay. it. So this one, I didn't, I didn't ask you beforehand. So this is just one I was noticed when I was reading this through. Okay. Which I found interesting because this book, these four volumes, right. And then if you remember what this book also became after he left, it was almost like it was built around runs by, like the big time artists of the time. Right. So like, I think following this, you had, I think Joe Benitez did an arc. I think Ethan Skyver did an arc. I think Jason Fabok did an arc. I think Shane Davis did one. I think Rags Morales did one. I think, um, uh, Dan Jurgens, I think might've done one. Like it was like, I think it was like the, of the time, like the big names. Right. So I found it really interesting that Jim Lee never did an arc on this. And I was like, and, and, and if I can remember correctly, again, it's been, I haven't read this whole run since it was published. So I think Ed McGinnis was the only guy who actually came back. So I'm actually wondering if this fourth volume was meant to be Jim Lee volume because it's like, so like Marvel heavy, you know what I mean? Like, and at the time Jim was new to DC. So like, it was just something that like, it felt like, like, I wonder if this was intended to be Jim Lee's like his, his, like, cause he, 
but you know, he did hush with Jim and then like, this would have been like his swan song to go out with that. Like, it was just interesting. Cause like all those characters were like the Avengers and Spider-Man and X-Men that they were fighting, but like the DC versions of it. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? That's really interesting. Yeah, you're totally right. The, the maximums, right? That super group in, yes. the, in that final arc, they're all analogs of Marvel characters. That's really interesting. I mean, I kind of always assumed it was meant to be McGinnis because he, you know, he and Loeb had that long run on the main Superman title and then they jumped over to this. So I kind of always took it that, you know, he came back so that the two of them could close out their tenure on Superman together. But I don't know. I mean, you know, I definitely could see, you know, Jim Lee fitting in there, but I, 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 you know, and I'd have to check the years and do the math, but wasn't he wrapped up in the all-star Batman by this point? Right. Cause he did hush. I, and I, then I all, don't know. So it, I don't know. Like, cause, cause I know, I know that, um, during the Supergirl arc was when he was doing the, um, the super, the for tomorrow because him and Michael Turner did the covers for each other in that run. Remember like there's, oh, there's in the, okay. in there's a Jim Lee variant cover on one of those Supergirl issues. And then Michael turned it a variant cover on one of the Superman issues. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's just, I just find it weird because like it's, it was the big book that was like built around their big artists and it's Superman and Batman. They're the characters he draws all the time. So it's just, it's funny that like he never had like a run on this book, you know? Yeah. That would have been really cool. And that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I love, I love the Ed McGinnis stuff. But we oh, did me get, too. Yeah. But we did no get complaint. the public. No complaints though. Like, yeah, because Ed McGinnis like crushed it. Like absolutely crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. But we did get the public enemies arc from him, right? So we did have so yeah, I don't know. I mean, that obviously would have been awesome if Lee had done it. I I wanted to ask you, because you know, I, you know, I can talk about story, right, all the time. When it comes to art, I you know, it's harder for me to kind of, I guess, put into words, <laughs> you know, that aspect of it. But, you know, Loeb is you know, has always been lauded for his ability to write for the artist he's collaborating with, right? Like his, the collaborators say it, critics say it, fans say it, that's always a thing. And I mean, mm -hmm. I guess certain things that, you know, jump right off the page are the fact that, you know, in the Supergirl arc where he had Michael Turner, who's known for drawing beautiful women, he gives him Supergirl and Big Barda and Wonder Woman and the Amazons to draw. But I'm just curious beyond that, I mean, were there things that, you know, kind of stood out to you as like, oh, like that Loeb was really tailoring this for Turner or McGinnis or Pacheco, like anything that, that kind of stood out? Well, I mean, in the, in the, in the Turner one, like it starts off with Batman underwater and like that, like what Michael Turner was known for was Fathom. So I think that whole like sequence was like made to be like, introduction because you you know he's like under the sub with like that like cool like like sub thing that he was like driving around in so like i i definitely think that um he like accentuates what the artists are good at you know so like like the the, the mcginnis stuff is very like big and bombastic you know and like a lot of that might also be just he might be like, I've never worked with him, so I don't know, but like, he might just also be very hands-off. You know what I mean? Like his, his strips might be very much like he gives the artist a lot of room to do their thing. And like, because of that, they do like their best work and therefore he's like rights for the artist, you know? Um, but like, yeah, I think he, it is that he, he does think about like what they're good at and then like gives them scenarios in which to, to, to give them that stuff, you know, to, 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 to really shine. Like you said, like Michael Turner and, and it's so cinematic to like, like the, like the designs and stuff that Michael Turner did. Like, it's just so like, like, like everything felt like big and like when they go to apocalypse, like everything just feels like big and cinematic or like that double page spread when Superman's in front of the sun and like the sun's like lighting, powering him up and he's got like the heat vision going like so good, you know? 
Yeah. No, I'm, that all makes sense. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting with Turner. That was really my introduction to him was his arc on this, you know, and I'm sure there were, you know, again, as huge as he was in the industry, you know, I'm sure there were other people, you know, maybe like myself who hadn't really read, you know, his, uh, you know, the, the, the image stuff and things like that. And, you know, getting him on a mainstream DC book was, was the way, uh, you know, to really dive into his art. The other thing that I was, I wanted to ask you, let's say hypothetically, uh, DC Jim Lee now, right? Let's let's say Jim Lee comes up with this idea to do a, a series called like uh, DC Redrawn, where they're going to take past storylines and have current artists redraw them, and they'll sell them again, and it'll be great. <laughs> and let's say he calls you up, and he's like, like Ken, like I love the stuff that you're doing. I want to have you involved in this. I heard you on that guy's podcast. I know you like the Superman Batman, <laughs> like you can pick an arc from, from the Loeb run and we'll give you Loeb's original script. You redraw it, go nuts. Uh, what, what would you want to do? Would you even want to do that? I guess. Okay. Well, I wouldn't do the Michael Turner one because I, I feel like that's such crazy big shoes to fill. And like, people say my art is very like, 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 like I feel like his, his style is very like visible in mine. Like there's like definitely like, like the, his DNA is also in the DNA of my art. So like, I wouldn't want to touch that one. Cause I feel like, I'd one, I'd be doing a far worse job than he would be doing, but then it would also just be like a pale imitation. So I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Um, I feel like it would be one of the McGinnis. I mean, first of all, I would never do this. Like, like <laughs> hypothetically, I would never do this because it'd be a much worse version and it would, and then everybody would say that, but like, um, but, it, but if I was going to pick one, I would probably pick the volume four, actually the one that has like the crazy amounts of, like all the, cause I would have liked, loved to draw Batman beyond and like all those like Marvel ish Marvelized characters. Oh, I, I'd change all their designs to be like different. So it'd be, it, I feel like that'd be the most room to like experiment with like artistically and like to do, do something different and like really make it wildly different. Cause like, I mean, how are you going to like improve or on, on public enemies, you know, like, and, and then the third one, the volume three, I just, I don't, I don't like them going bad. So I don't, I don't want to draw bad Superman and Batman, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Again, I don't know that I necessarily see uh, DC doing that. And I could definitely see as an artist why, you know, you'd have reservations, right? About like redrawing some, but I was just curious uh, again, especially given the heavy art focus of, of these arcs. So you did have that other question, right? That uh, I, oh, I hope, yes. I hope you have an answer for as well. Cause it's a, it's a great oh, question. Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause we were talking about how this is so art focused and I, I was wondering like, and I had this realization when I was reading this, these trades too. So I, I want to know when when you think of the character of Superman, who are like the five? If you had to say like, there's five artists who define the character for you. Not 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 in like the the five most iconic in the history of the character, but like to you personally, like when you think of the character, who are like were the depictions, the five like so, solid depictions of who who uh, you are your top five Superman artists. So, what's your answer? Yeah, it's so funny because when you you texted that to me and and I was like they should immediately come to mind. It was kind of hard. And the first few did, but then I was like, oh man, but uh, I, I have them. So as you and regular you know, listeners know, right, I started with Death of Superman. So Jurgens and Tom Grummet, actually, I think from that era, uh, oh, right. I think I, I would have to include him as well. So those two from that period of time, from those, the early nineties, when I got into Superman, that's, that was incredibly formative. McGinnis, for sure. I'm on record. That was my favorite time reading the Superman books. And he, 
you know, to me, like really uh, was the defining artist with, I liked a lot of the other artists during that time. But I mean, you know, when I think of that Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly period, it's that cover to Superman 154, McGinnis's first issue with Superman in front of the Daily Planet. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's that. Uh, this next one, I, I wish it, I, it had come to me sooner. But uh, once I thought of him, I'm like, oh my God, of course, Howard Porter, you know, the, that Grant Morrison JLA run. Uh, you know, was sorry. Say, say that again. You the network fuzzled oh, out. Sorry, <laughs> Howard no, Porter. Okay. Howard Howard Porter. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Because uh, that Grant Morrison JLA run was huge, and so so I'd have to put him there. And Jim Lee, uh, you know, Jim Lee. Between, I mean, again, the fact that he's designed and redesigned the character a bunch of times and drawn him in yeah. Hush and For Tomorrow and JLA. So yeah, those would be my five. What about you? Yeah, we've got we've got some crossover. So for me, Michael Turner number one. Oh, I know. Even though he did the character so little, it's like like he he really only drew him in this this trade and then a couple covers. But like, it just stands out so like his like his version of Superman just exudes like like hope and nobility and like pureness and like optimism, but still being tough at the same time. Like everything about Superman that I like is exuded through through, through Michael Turner's Superman. Number two, Ed McGinnis, man. Like I, reading this again, I was like. Ed McGinnis is like the one of the defining Superman artists to me. And it's just, and again, it's the same thing where like he's he's powerful, he he he's cool, he's not like he doesn't feel stodgy, like he feels like very of now. Like even I, I know this was 20 years ago, but like he's it still feels like modern to this day. Like he had great facial expressions, great just energy and like what I like to call that big manga energy, like everything's just like big and explosive and in your face. So definitely um Ed McGinnis. Jim Lee, for all the reasons you just said, like for tomorrow and and um and, and we did in Hush and the New Fifty Two and Unchained, like all of it, like Jim Lee is and and they merchandised the the shit out of the Jim Lee stuff. So like whenever you see like Superman on product now, it's like usually a Jim Lee Superman. So that reason, um, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez is also another reason for that because when I think of like classic like classic classic Superman, like his is the one that comes to my into my head, you know, because again merchandised all over everything but sure. also just like the beautiful like clean like lines like he had that very like that youthful christopher reeve kind of superman so definitely him and then the other big one for me like really big one which is probably like right up there with michael turner is um lenel Yu from birthright like because like i just love that book so much and i know I, th I think it's the only time he ever drew superman but it's just stuck in my head so much that that's like the version of the character that i see like like when I'm like thinking of it. So yeah, those would be my five. Those are great picks. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, again, if I had to extend mine out by a couple, I think we'd, we'd have even, <laughs> we'd have even more overlap, but no, those are awesome picks, man. I, I dig it. Uh, no. And I appreciate the, uh, the thought exercise, you know, we're going to do going back to my whole thing about mapping out this podcast. So, you know, pretty far in advance later in this year, uh, towards the end of the year, you know, you had proposed an episode uh, examining the visual evolution of Superman. And I, I, I'm so on board. I'm so excited for us to do that. But I'm, I kind of scheduled it for towards the end of the year because I'm going to do, this is now a few months down the line, but I'm going to do sort of a trilogy of episodes uh, where I'm going to be taking a look at a selection of stories from the Golden Age, Silver Age, and Bronze Age, which, you know, despite being such a big Superman fan, I've read very little from that over the years. Uh, so it'll be interesting for me, I think, on a couple of levels. But as I'm reading those stories for that 
little little trifecta of episodes. I'm definitely going to be be keeping an eye out for uh, for how the the style has evolved has evolved, and I think we'll have a really it'll be a really fun and interesting conversation when we can compare notes. Yeah, no, it's it's cool, man. Like American comics, like specifically like these superheroes, it's kind of unique compared to like other franchises because they've been around for so long and they don't like end, they just keep going. So they have to kind of constantly be reinvented. Like the, like in like, you know, like movies or like other fictional properties, they, they kind of have like a beginning, middle and end, but the, because these don't do that, they just keep going. Like it, they kind of need to be like, kind of like overhauled like every 10 years or so. And, and whether that's story or visuals or whatever it is, like it, it always is changing. So it's interesting for sure. For sure. Uh, let's take a 30 second commercial break and then we'll get right back into the, the Superman Batman run. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. And we're back. You've been a real trooper here. Our audience doesn't know this, but my internet connection is unstable. And so we've been doing this over Zoom and you've been staring at a frozen image of me, but thankfully you've been able to hear me. The situation has not improved, has it? No, no, no. There, there's a brief period there when we were talking about the artist that you flickered a little bit, and, but now you're back to Frozen. So so to, to video listeners, I apologize if I'm looking like off to the corner or down because it's just like basically a Frozen picture of Anthony. So I'm just kind of talking to a picture, but it's all good. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's funny because when, you know, when, when you're talking, it's like, I'm, I'm nodding and I'm smiling, even though I know you can't, <laughs> you can't see me, but it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to just be saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Cause then we'll, you know. I don't want to be talking over you, um, but I, I just I have to I have to acknowledge what you're saying. So just know that when whenever you're saying anything, man, like I'm there and I'm nodding and I'm smiling and I'm enjoying it, <laughs> even though I just look sounds frozen. good. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, just uh, before we we really get back in here, just a little bit of a uh, housekeeping and teasing, I guess. I want to give people a heads up about fun stuff that's coming up here. So this is our mid-February episode of Digging for Kryptonite. And what we have coming up in March is going to be a big month, literally, because there, were, there are five Wednesdays in March. So we're going to have three episodes instead of two in the month of March. So March 3rd, uh, Mike San Gregorio, who was on the show uh, a few months back, he's going to come on and he and I are going to break down the pilot episode of Superman and Lois on the CW. So... That should be fun. I, I have very mixed feelings about the show. I'm curious to watch it, and I think it'll be fun to, to discuss. And then, man, the rest of March is you on this show. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Oh, oh is a Snyder Cut? Is Snyder Cut one of them? Yeah. So, the, so, mid, so mid-March is um, <clears throat> March 17th is actually an episode that you and I already recorded uh, about the two versions of Superman 2. Oh, nice. So we recorded <laughs> that. I and it, immediately you laugh and so do I when I think about it. <laughs> it was so much fun. And it's like I don't know what people are going to think of it, but we had a blast talking about the movie generally and the differences between the the two cuts of of the movie. So I think that'll be really yeah. fun. Yeah, so, I, if if you're listening to this and you listen to that already, this is airing afterwards. Or before this will be before yeah okay so if when you listen to that know that we love superman and we love the character but 
we we kind of it's 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 we we had some fun at the movie's expense for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it was great. I think people yeah. I think people will enjoy it. And then uh, later in March, uh, you and I are going to be discussing the Snyder cut of Justice League, which uh, will be airing on HBO Max on March eighteenth. Now, based on my release schedule. Uh, our Snyder Cut episode would come out March 25th. No, I'm sorry, March 31st. Uh, but if we can get the Snyder Cut watched and get an episode recorded sooner, I would love to put it out on the 24th, like a week after the the Snyder Cut comes out. We can, we, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out. No, no, you know, we don't have to lock into that. But by the end of March, we'll have what I'm sure <laughs> will be an epic episode. Uh, about the Snyder Cut. So so that's what's coming up uh, next month. It'll be a lot of fun. And then one final tease before we get back in here is this, uh, you know, I have a, I have another new podcast series called My Comic Shop Book Club. And next week's episode is a little, eh, is a little bit of a crossover with this episode uh, where uh, my buddy Jeff and I is uh, my best friend from law school. And he and I are going to talk about the Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis run on Hulk. Their oh, uh, nice. their Red Hulk saga. But did, did I meet Jeff at a con? I think I did. You did, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. I think multiple cons. Like he's come up to yeah. you, and and you were both at the the private screening of my comic shop country. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was very excited that you were going to be there, and I remember saying to him, "I'm like, listen, he's there as my guest. I'm like, don't ask him for a sketch. Like, <laughs> don't bring books for him to sign." <laughs> But he's 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 a really cool dude, and this will be the first time that we're podcasting together. And so we're going to talk nice. about the, you know, again, like we're talking about the Loeb McGinnis run on Superman Batman, and then I figured it would it would make sense to talk about their Hulk run. Have you ever read it? No, I haven't. No, I'm not, I'm not like a huge Hulk fan, so I've I actually don't think I've ever read any Hulk comics. Now that I think about it, I was going to say many, but I actually don't think I've ever read a full Hulk issue, like like a solo Hulk issue ever. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you read it before this or? No, I read it for this. And okay. uh, again, I know you can't see my face, but I'm kind of grimacing. Let's say this. If you ever, de- if you ever decide to get into Hulk, start somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, uh, it'll be an interesting episode. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say, but anyway, so that's, so that's coming up next week on, uh, on my comic shop book club. So a lot of, a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be fun to it'll be fun to hear Jeff because like yeah, I haven't seen him I probably since your screening I think. Yeah, it was probably the last time I saw him. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, it should be yeah. a lot of fun. So, uh, so going back to you know these four arcs of of Superman Batman. Uh, you know there were you know obviously a bunch of things in each arc that you know really stood out, and I just want to talk for a minute about the very opening of the first arc where we get you know. M- yet another telling of the origin story of Batman and Superman. And it's one of those things where, you know, as fans, like, right, we know these stories so well, but I felt that it was so effective the way Loeb, uh, the way he juxtaposed the, the two origin stories, right? And I felt that it really just set the stage and set the tone for the dynamic between Clark and Bruce in this series. And, even in just those few pages, it's like, yeah, you totally get why these guys are the way they are, right? Where you see uh, really just sort of the mirror image of of these, you know, formative events, you know, in their in their earliest years. I mean, you know, Clark was born out of tragedy, but into 
love and hope with the Kents, right? Whereas Batman, right, is flipped. Like he's born, you know, out of, or, you know, initially into this world of, you know, of, uh, of you know, love and privilege and he loses that, right? And so you have that sharp turn for him where it's, you know, really flipped. So I thought that was really well done. Mm, totally. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. I, I had forgotten that reading it. Um, but yeah, it's super quick. It's like, they don't waste too much time on it either. It's, I think it's one, two, three, it's like five pages, I think like all together, like, so it's really, really clean and good. And yeah, they, they did a great job with that. Yeah. And it's little things too. It's, you know, again, for Clark, it's a dream of his childhood. And for Bruce, it's a nightmare. And that really sums up, you know, where mm -hmm. they both come from. And, and even the fact that, you know, again, you know, Clark comes from a, a dead planet, right? His, the early, but, but even in that, you know, he's not sure if it's a memory or, or a dream, but right. His, the earliest images are, you know, kind of hurtling through space and the, the beauty and the colors, you know, of, of everything around him. Uh, again, a very stark contrast to what, uh, to what Bruce went through. So uh, again, as much yeah. as, you know, it's like, we, we know the stories well enough, but I think it set everything up well. And at the same time, I was thinking about this, you know, I'm sure there were people who were, you know, primarily Superman readers, you know, who maybe hadn't checked out Batman. And even though they, I'm sure they knew the basics of the origin story, like this, I, I think was a good introduction. I feel like it would probably be more vice versa. Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it was good introduction for both of them. Like, so that, and like, it didn't burden it down too much so that if you already knew the characters, you could just kind of like breeze through it without like it being a big thing. But like, if you didn't know that much about either or of them, like it was a good, just kind of good primer going in. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, totally. I texted Dude, you. No, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go on, go on. No, no, you go. No, no, it's just what you're going to say. <laughs> my, mine's going to go down a different tangent. All right, fair enough. I had I texted you when I was in the midst of my reread, and I was like, like Clark is really a badass in, yeah, uh, in these Ooh. stories. And you see that in a bunch of instances, but one of my favorite moments in Public Enemies, and I don't know, maybe traditional Superman and Batman fans might might be like, well, I can't believe you like that. But one of my favorite moments is when they're in the Oval Office with Lex and Clark grabs Lex by the neck. And mm -hmm. Bruce, where you expect Bruce to be like, don't do this, this isn't who you are. Bruce is like, we can make it look like an accident. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was before when I was saying how they're not perfect. Like, like that was one of the moments that like, like, yeah, like it's like Clark's like, he's, he's thinking about it. Right. Like, he's not just being like, no, like, I, like I'm, I'm like, I'm this like virtuous saint who's like, like impervious to all feeling like he actually has a very human emotion, but like he chooses to take the high road. And I think that's more powerful than him just being like, just like, like this, like perfect beam of light that like, never has any faults, you know? Again, I know you can't see me, but I was, I, I was nodding along with you because yeah, no, I think that makes it so much more interesting, right? If it comes easily to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think, he, I mean, I don't know. I guess you could argue that makes it more virtuous if it wouldn't even occur to him to, to kill Lex. But I, I think it makes it certainly more interesting if it's well, something it that he, it, he wants, like he at least contemplates and he chooses not to. Right. I think, yeah. Like, I feel like it makes him more human. Right. Because like none of these, like, like, I, I don't like the version of Superman or Batman, like I said before, that's, like, perfect. Like, because, like, that, that makes them, like, less interesting and less human and relatable. Like, they have to have, like, like just, like, just emotions, you know? Like, like Superman, like, spoiler alert, people, Superman does not like Lex Luthor. Like, I mean, like, doesn't mean, you know what I mean? So, like, it's, like, there's, like, I feel like that, like, 
it, it, it's like, like just like human emotions that everybody deals with, like superheroes deal with it too. Like just on like a grander scale, you know? Yeah, no, that's the thing. And, you know, you and I, of course, were massive Smallville fans. And it's like, you know what, Art, in that version of the story, they were best friends once. So it's like, okay, there's some sort of, there's some sort of friendship. There's some sort of, you know, positive feeling there. But not in this version. I mean, it's like, it's no, like he hates yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, hates him. Like, yeah. But, Which is yeah. really so, like, after all the stuff he did, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the things, the thing I wanted to ask you before, um, this is kind of going to go down a different tangent, but I want to know if you noticed this reading it. And, like, Loeb definitely fix this later on like because it, it didn't really happen like in volume two onward he's kind of stopped doing this but in this first volume if i had one complaint dude this was driving me nuts when i was reading it specifically toward the first half of it is the dueling inner monologues between the characters like they'd be like in like a fight but then like clark would be like talking about like going to a baseball game or something <laughs> in his inner monologue and then bruce would be talking about like, like t- talking with Jim Gordon about like Gotham city while in like the action is they're, they're like on the white house lawn fighting bad guys. But like panel one would be the first part of Clark's sentence, the first part of Bruce's sentence and then dialogue of what's happening. Then the second part of Clark's sentence, the second part of Bruce's sentence and the more. And like, I had such trouble, like, like I had to reread pages like three, four times just to like read all the Clark stuff straight through, then read all the Bruce stuff straight through, then read all the, the dialogue and then look at the picture straight through. Like it was very confusing at the beginning. And thankfully, like he, he kind of stopped doing that toward the end and like didn't really do that at all going forward. It was more like if there was an inner monologue, it was kind of like in chunks of the character. So it wasn't like interrupting each other. Like, and I found it that I found that it, it, when we, it was right at the beginning too. And I was like, Oh boy, this is gonna be tough to get through. Like, like I had that that like, oh, that like deflated feeling of like, oh man, this won't be as good as I remember. But like, I think it was after like two or three issues, he kind of stopped doing it, which probably like realized when he was reading it that like, like I get what he's trying to do, he's trying to like juxtapose the things, but like it just read so weirdly, you know? Did you did you get that when you're rereading it, or am I just like stupid and couldn't process it? <laughs> no, I think you bring up a really interesting aspect. I was thinking about this too because I guess I'm kind of torn, right? On the one hand. I, I do, overall, I enjoy the the dueling monologues because you get to see how each of them approaches a situation. And, you know, kind of like what you were alluding to after Clark is shot by Metallo with the, the kryptonite bullet, right? And then the there's an explosion, right? And, and he and Bruce are trapped underground. And, um, you know, like for Bruce, like he's very strategic and, and like tactical. And, and Clark is reminiscing about a time where he and Pete like fell into a well and there was kryptonite or meteor rocks and a little Smallville nod. So, like, it's interesting in that sense. And then you also get a lot of instances where they're thinking about each other, right? But I mm-hmm. I also feel like, so I didn't have so much of an issue about the way it was broken up, but I get what you're saying, and I do think it's more effective where you get more of a chunk of it together. I'm with you on yeah. that. But the whole thing about, you know, like, kind of thinking about what the other is thinking, I like it, but I feel like it's best in small doses. And I felt like sometimes it was just like, it almost it was like almost bordering. Like if you wanted to do a parody of this book, it, it would actually be pretty easy. I think, especially yeah. with respect to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like again, like I'm torn on because like, I do like that, like, especially all that characterization that we're talking about. A lot of that does come from the, the inner monologue. So like as a concept, I really like it. I just, when it was like intercut with each other and like, it was trying to like mirror what the other one was saying and like also mirror the situation with like, like a story that didn't really mirror, but it was like tangential at best, like what you're saying, like in the well and everything. So like that, like, like 
again, like volume two onward, like I've got no problem with it. It's just in volume one, I think like he was get trying to find his footing with like the allegories and everything with those stories, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, but like you do get a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, I know, I remember there was one scene where both Clark and Bruce were thinking about, you know, father figures in their lives who, you know, kind of taught them about hope, right? You know, for Clark, it's Pa Ken, and he's talking about like either a baseball team or football team that always loses, but it's like, you know, why do we keep going, Pa? It's like, well, you know, we hope that they'll they'll, they'll turn it around. Uh, and, you know, for Bruce, who's, you know, thinking about uh, Jim Gordon. So, like, you know, you see the influences and kind of where they kind of That specifically, though, like, like, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that, that was what I was talking to because that was when I was getting my, at my most like annoyed with this was that, was that because, because when you read like all the Superman stuff through, it makes like really good sense. And it's a great character thing. And same thing with Batman when you read it all through, but like, like I literally went through like three pages and like, I, I like I looked at one of the panels and I was like, wait, wait, how did he get out of the bat plane? Like, like, because I was so like, like focus on trying to connect like the pieces with each other because they weren't like laid out, like in, like in a straight line, like they kept intercutting with each other that like, I wasn't following the action on the page. And then like, I was getting confused with what was happening. Cause like it had nothing to do with what was going on at all. Like, so it was like one of these things where like, I felt like it was like super confusing. And like, like I said, like, I'm glad that like, it was kind of toned down after that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I get, I get, do get what you're saying. You know, it's funny because I know I said this over and over when we did the original Loeb, the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly episodes, but, uh, you know, what I loved about the Loeb run on the main Superman title was that he would always have a member of the supporting cast narrating. But the one thing that was, that I kind of, that I, I wished was there was Clark almost never narrated. I think there's only one issue in that Loeb run on the Superman title, the main Superman title, where it's from Clark's perspective. So that was actually one thing that I really liked about this was like you get to hear what Clark is thinking, you know, as, uh, you know, as, as written by Loeb. And, you know, I know you and I, we reject the, this idea that that Clark isn't relatable. And I think he's so relatable the way Loeb writes him. I mean, he's, you know, he's just a farm, like he's a farm boy, like his parents raised him right. They taught him to be a good person and he tries to do the right thing. And, you know, going back to what I was saying before about that, that respect between Clark and Bruce. Uh, I, I like the way it kind of plays out both ways, right? Where, you know, Clark looks at Bruce and he's like, you know, he's just a man and he's, you know, he's so brave and he's willing to, you know, put his life on the line like this. And then the flip of that, you know, Bruce is like, this guy has the powers of a God, you know, but he doesn't see himself that way. And I think there's even specifically a line where he's like, you know, Clark doesn't see himself like a God, like we're lucky, <laughs> we're lucky he doesn't, like, yeah. you know? Uh, so I, yeah. I really do like uh, the way that that went. Oh, I agree. I agree for sure. Like I, I love like the insights into their personalities. And I think like we said, we've been saying that it makes Clark super relatable, which is always a good thing. Yeah. In the, oh, and Bruce and Bruce for that matter. Cause like, I feel like it's very easy to make Bruce not relatable at all, you know? So like, <laughs> I feel like they did a very good job. Like I know we, we tend to like lean more Superman, like in our fandom, but like, I think the way Batman's depicted in this stuff is also like great, you know? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. And just on this note of relatability, this is jumping to the Supergirl arc, but I love, you know, it, it looks for a moment as if Darkseid has killed Kara, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it turns out this was all a plot uh, that Superman came up with to keep Kara safe. But 
Uh, and as readers, I think we suspect that, you know, they wouldn't kill off the character they just introduced. But there for this brief period of time, it appears as if she's dead and and Superman's fighting Darkseid. And you had mentioned this earlier, right, where they're going into space towards the sun and they're fighting. And, you know, Clark is like just tearing into Darkseid. And he's like, you know, you robbed her of all of these experiences that she's going to have. And he lists all this, like, just all this stuff that he clearly, you know, grew up with in Smallville. He's like, you know, apple pie with ice cream and driving in the convertible on a summer night and a drive-in mm-hmm. movie, like all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, like he, this was how he grew up. I mean, he's a, he's a, per, you know, he's a person, like he's been in the world. Um, so again, just going back to that idea of, of relatability and the way Loeb writes him, like I dug, I love all that stuff. Dude, totally, man, totally. Dude, t- speaking of the Supergirl arc, we, we talked about Michael Turner um, with Superman, but Dude, how kick ass this is Batman. Like, I, I I don't I didn't want to forget that because like I like I think that might also be my favorite version of Batman because it's like the the detail comic book, like hyper stylized, like coolness that you can get from him, but like it almost has the affectations of like the Burton movies. Did you notice that? Like the way he draws Gotham city is very Burton esque and like, he's got the long ears and like the, like this, like all his gear looks very much like the toys from that era. Like the Kenner, like the, the scuba thing and like the Batmobile and the Batplane have that very like, like nineties Batman kind of like everything's like long and like smooth and angular. Did you, did you notice that or no? See, this is exactly the kind of thing like, yeah, in the back of my head, but I wouldn't have articulated it quite like that. So that's why this was perfect. But yeah, no, for sure. And definitely like the long years, like, I, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, very distinct. I know that's true as much as, you know, the, the focus of the arc was Supergirl herself, right? But uh, yeah, he did awesome work on Batman for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I really dig the long years of Batman. And I, I think it's time they came back. And like, if I ever get the chance to, to work on another Batman book, I'm definitely doing the long years next time. Because like, I think there's like something really cool about those like long years, you know, right on. I want to, I want to ask your take about something from public enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this kind of ties into, I know I had texted you. I was like, I had, I loved the arc. It was a lot of fun, you know, but there was one thing that I would just like really, I don't know. It bugged me. It isn't quite this, but it's kind of along those lines. But what did you think about Lex injecting himself with kryptonite, Bane Venom and jumping in the battle armor and, and like all that stuff. Oh, I had no problem with it. I thought that was like a, like a nod to like the, the, the past when Lex had the, 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 the green suit, like the superpowers suit. So like, I thought that was like a cool take on it and like him injecting himself. Cause I actually like, I like that idea that Lex is like super jealous of Clark and like, he just wants to be Superman. So like, he just like, takes all these drugs and stuff to try to like match up against Superman. Like I, I had no problem with it. You, I'm you, you didn't really like it though. It was too much for you. I, I'm so I'm torn. Honestly, I'm torn. I, I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't really know where I fall on it because yeah, like it's a nice nod to, you know, the silver age of comics and uh, you know, it, it allows for a physical confrontation between Clark and Lex, which you normally would never get. Right. Uh, certainly not to that scale. I think the thing that like I'm having a hard time reconciling is going back to the original president Lex storyline. And we talked about this. uh, I talked about it with Scott and with Mike when I did those episodes, you know, that storyline was so interesting because it was a different type of dilemma for Clark. It wasn't something he could hit, right? Like he felt betrayed by the American people. How could you elect my greatest enemy? How could you do that? And he, you know, he felt so hurt and betrayed and Lex was now in a position where it's like Clark couldn't just punch him. Like he, you know, he, 
he was really kind of stuck in terms of like, how do I get rid of this guy now? Um, and so I just felt like it was a really interesting setup where it's like, okay, here's a situation that it's not about punching. And then the ultimate resolution was punching. So that's where I have a little bit of a tr of trouble with it. I mean, I thought it was like the logical conclusion though. Cause like, 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 like Lex was going to screw up eventually. Right. And it was like his own, like hubris of like, he thinks he can become the new Superman. Like that's why he put the armor on in the story was like to become like the symbol of people like Superman's the alien and I'm your protector. You know, like he was trying to like make himself like the new Superman. So like, like I totally get it. And like, it made a cool visual fight. So like, I'm always down with stuff like that. Cause like, it's comics. Like it needs to, it, it, there needs to be that stuff, you know, like if they're just going to like sit around talking, then like, don't do that in a comic book, you know? So like, um, I didn't have a problem with that. And like, I liked how like disgusting it made him look like with the, the green veins and everything. And then when he kisses Amanda Waller, I totally forgot about that. Like, no. I was like what is going on here? Like, Me too, man. I meant to ask you about that. I had the same thing. I was re I completely forgotten about it. I'm like, and as I don't think it's ever followed up or addressed, or at least not that I, I can remember. And it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. And then, like, it's implied. I feel like it's implied that Lex was, like, wanted to take it further. Didn't, remember? Because, like, yeah. he gets interrupted by Captain Adam, and he's like, oh, your timing is, like, awful. As all. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I was so, like, it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you're right. There's, like, no, like, setup for that at all. It just, like, literally comes out of nowhere. Yeah. For, uh, yeah. I, yeah. That, that definitely stood out. I did love when, uh, you know, the Superman and Batman families are, are breaking into the white house and, uh, Lex is, oh, yeah. you know, he, he pumps the room full of, uh, you know, of gas to knock them out. And then he's also, you know, he's all roided up and he's, he's fighting uh, Nightwing and out of all of them, Nightwing stays yeah. up the longest. I love that. I love when he's like, just fall, damn it. And Nightwing's like, never like, you know, that was, that was great. That was really good. Yeah. I really like that. Who was that character that was like, I'm going to call her Supergirl, but it's not Supergirl. She had like a black suit with the blue cape. Yeah. Who was that? Do you have any idea who that was? Yeah. So that, so my memory is spotty and I've not reread this stuff, but this was a, a different, another different version of Supergirl that they introduced. I think it was in the main Superman title after Loeb. It was definitely after Loeb left. Okay. So she was re like pretty new at this point in time because there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of time between Loeb leaving and and this book starting. So, uh, yeah, she was a new and she didn't stick around very long. And um, I didn't really know much about her. I mean, I'm sure we you know we could do a, a Wikipedia uh, okay. dive, but yeah, she was a, a different Supergirl that they introduced uh, in in the books at that time. Yeah, because because they didn't name drop her in this. Like they didn't they didn't have like a name thing for her. So I was like, I was like, who is this? Like I've never Sir, seen this character. Yes, yeah, Sir Sir L. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it was something okay. like that. Um, okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I love. I really did. I dug the uh, the castling move that Clark and Bruce pull on yeah. uh, on Hawkman and, and Captain Marvel. And and you know, at first the idea that they're switching, it's like, oh, that's cool. But then the fact that they're they're actually impersonating them, I thought was really cool. And that was a nice payoff. And that led to that that confrontation that we were talking about in the Oval Office. So that was that was mm -hmm. neat. That was very cool. Yeah. And Ed McGinnis drawing Hawkman was like so dope. Like yeah. him drawing all the characters like were great. Like Nightwing and like the Supergirl and and um Robin, like and Backer, like he did such a good job. I mean, it speaks volumes because they'd made that like long running DC direct line off pretty much this this volume, right? <laughs> like this, these remember didn't they I'm sure when you worked at the store you remember those figures, right? Those Yeah, they those, didn't sell great. They didn't, they didn't? <laughs> Oh, 
Oh, really? Oh, I thought, I thought they did because there's like a million of them. So <laughs> let, I'll, let me say this for us, they didn't sell great. And I remember we must've sold loose figures at, at initially, but I remember for years and years, years and years and years that we had a complete set of, uh, of a number of them from this line that we just could not move. So, uh, oh, wow. but I remember, wow. but you know, at the same, I wish, you know, for the store's sake, they had sold, but, uh, you know, it was cool seeing them all the time. And I, whenever I was yeah. in the store, like they were always there and they were, they were great. And, and kind of, you know, on that note, like it was cool getting action figures, you know, in that, in the artist style. And then similarly, this really could have, you know, and maybe down the line, we'll do a whole other thing on the animated adaptations of these stories. But this was when DC, you know, the DC animated movies were done in the style of the artist whose work was being adapted. So, yeah, I mean, like the Public Enemies movie, it's like McGinnis's art, like right there on the screen. And then, and then the, you know, the Apocalypse one too, you know, the, their adaptation of the Supergirl arc. Um, I wish they did more stuff like that because I, I really like that period of the DC animated movies. I, I agree. I agree. I don't, I have actually kind of stopped watching them just because like they've gotten into that like house style now where they're all like in the same universe. And I actually really liked when they like, while I get why they do that, because probably like the ones that we like has a very niche audience, like, Oh sweet. They're adapting this trade that I love, you know, like it's, so I get why they don't do it, but like, I really did love those. Like, like new frontier was one they did in the Darwin cook style. Um, yeah. Like I, I loved all those where they, they adapted, like they, they at least tried to match the art style of the, uh, the artist as best they could, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot obviously that I, I'm sure you want to talk about with the Supergirl arc and a, and a few things that I want to as well. In the the final page of Public Enemies, we see, you know, Lex, right? He survived. Oh, one other thing that I really did love is that after that, the Superman-Lex battle in the sky, uh, we get a confrontation between Bruce and Lex. And mm-hmm. uh, Bruce, I think it was in his in his uh, monologue, was talking about the play that Lex made for Gotham at the end of No Man's Land. And I love that. I love that they brought that back because um, I thought that was such an interesting thing at the time, this idea that, you know, Metropolis wasn't enough, that Lex was going to make a play for Gotham and that put him at odds with both Bruce and Batman. And uh, so I thought that was cool. And I liked that they acknowledged it and there was, a, you know, a little bit of follow up there. But the last page of Public Enemies is, you know, Lex has survived, you know, this this fall under, you know, the, the Lex Corp Tower. And, you know, he's looking crazed and, you know, he's in his, what, the, what remains of his green suit. And he's like, there will be a reckoning, a crisis. And then we find out at the end of the With a Vengeance storyline that what he originally said there was Clark Kent is Superman, which was information he learned at the end of the low run on the main Superman book. But we find out in, in at the end of With the Vengeance that Mixius Pitalik changed his memory, right? And then his line changed from Clark Kent to Superman to There Will Be a Reckoning. Oh, I was so, wondering what that was. Yeah, okay. And that makes sense. And that's, I think, one of the great missed opportunities. You know, the, Lex finding out that Clark is Superman happened in the at the tail end of the lobe run on the main Superman book. There was like some astronomer in the White House who brought Lex, you know, satellite imagery of, of uh, you know, the period of time where, where Clark, where, you know, Clark's rocket came to Earth and Lex put it together and they never did anything with it. And I, I kind of, I don't know, I always kind of got the sense that there was some editorial pushback on that because it just seems like, man, that would have been interesting to like what would happen. And it just never, it never went anywhere because very shortly thereafter, Loeb left the Superman book. He launched this and it really didn't play any role in the storyline. And, and then uh, that was it. So I, that was a shame to me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, uh, that is a shame. Like I, I had no, um, context for that. So like the last page of vengeance, I was like, 
that's weird. Like when did that happen? But that, that that's really cool though. That like, again, I feel like comics don't really do that anymore. Where like writers will like build off what other people are doing, like either at the same time or before and like not in like huge ways, but just in kind of like little, just like touch point kind of ways like that. Like I really miss stuff like that in comics, you know? Yeah. So anything else about public enemies that uh, you want to mention before we move on? Um, well, I have a question for you. That's more about like the, the overall over like the whole series overall, and maybe even just like a comic book question in general. But like, I noticed this when I was reading it, that like I have very distinct voices in my head for these characters that I didn't really realize before. And I want to ask you, do you hear a specific version when you're reading for like Superman or Batman or any of these characters, do you hear like a specific like actor or anything in your head when you're reading them? I do, you know, I was, it's funny, you know, great minds think alike, I guess. I was thinking the same thing. And I know, you know, for a lot of fans, it's like, you know, whenever they read Batman, they hear Kevin Conroy in their head. And I think for me, generally, I don't really hear a specific actor's voice all the time. It's not like, like a given, but in this in particular, I think probably in large part because of the animated adaptation, I do hear Kevin Conroy and Tim Daly. What about what about you? Okay, so for Superman in general, I do hear Tim Daly. Like he, we see the one that did the, the animated series Superman, right? Yes. Like not and, yeah. not Justice League, but the animated series. Yeah, George Newbern did Justice League. They were very yeah. they were pretty similar though. So it's like yeah. it was pretty seamless. Yeah, no. So like Superman in general, like I've gone on saying that like Christopher Reeve was like like when I think of the character, like live action, like it's him as Superman and Tom Welling as Clark. Like that's kind of like the, the, the amalgamation of them is kind of how I see the character. But when I read comics, I definitely hear Tim Daly's voice. Like, and not just for this, but like just in general is kind of like how I internalize it. And same thing with Lex is the Lex that I hear is the Clancy Brown from that show. Like very distinctly is yeah. that Lex when I, when I read Lex, but Batman, like what you were saying, how most people hear Kevin Conroy, I actually don't like my version of Batman that I hear in my head is like, like I was thinking really hard about it because it's very distinct, but it's, it's not based off an actor. It's like, it's like this, this own voice I've concocted in my head. That's kind of like an amalgamation of all of them. Like kind of like almost more like, like the subtlety of like how Keaton talked, but like with like a different kind of voice, like, like, like this own voice I've created in my head. It's very weird. Cause it's, I was thinking about that a lot because like the Superman side is so in my head, like clearly who it is, you know, but, um, yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up to see if what, you, what your thoughts were on it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for anyone listening or watching, uh, please let us know if you hear anyone in particular when you're, cause I think that's really interesting. And I think it definitely, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think you'll, you'll get a mix of responses, right? Some people who do, who do like hear a specific voice and others who don't. And then if they do, it's like, which one I do think it is very natural, right. For you to go to a voice actor from one of the animated shows. Like there, it definitely seems like, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, mm. I, so I want to, I want to get your take on, on the Supergirl arc. I, there's, there's one thing and I don't want to forget and it's a, it's the tiniest little thing, but it kind of gets at the heart of like how I view the character and how I think Loeb gets Clark right in a way that other Superman writers don't. So there's, it's like a couple issues into Supergirl where Clark and Kara are walking. Also, I say Kara and I know according to the new Supergirl, not new, it's in its final, going into its final season now, but I know the Supergirl TV series, they go Kara, but I, it's always been Kara in my head. So that's, that's what I go with. And that's what they did on Smallville. So that's that's yeah. my uh, that's my baseline. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I always thought Kara too. 
But so, but there's a scene right where Clark and Kara are walking in Metropolis and Kara's asking him about them, the humans, right? Like living, you know, with them. And Clark mm-hmm. corrects her. And he's like, well, it's not like, it's not us versus them. And yeah, I bring that, us. I bring that up because uh, it's funny. I've talked to a number of people now about being on the podcast in the future. And, and just like I did with you, like, right, like we have, we, you know, off, off mic conversations about like, what are the sorts of things you'd want to talk about? And a number of people, and I, th- I think you might have mentioned this yourself as well. A lot of people are interested in talking about the Jeff Johns action comics run. And mm. it's on my master list. We're going we'll, we'll get to it. And there's a lot that I like about the Johns run and I like Johns generally, but no joke, dude, he lost me on like the first or second page of his run because his run begins with Clark going to the fortress and he sees Jor-El and he's like, I've lived among them for many years. And I was like, nope, that's not, that's, like, that's not what he would think. And it just, it just, uh, to me just got at a fundamental difference in the way they view the character. And so as I was reading this, I was like, yeah, like that's what the way Loeb depicted it to me is like the true, you know, the true Clark. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, me and you definitely agree on that. Like, I love that line when he's like, it's, there, there's no them, it's just us when he's talking to Kara. Like, that's like such a good, like, gets the heart of the character for sure. And I mean, I think that the Jeff Johns thing you're talking about, like, I love Jeff Johns's like books, but I do like his version of Superman, I think is very tied to the Donner version, which like that, like interpretation of like Superman is like who he is and like Clark is a mask. Like, I think that's like inherently tied to like the John's version of the character. And that's just not how you and I see the character. So like, it makes sense why, like, like on that level, like you would bump up against it, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, you hit the nail on the head and, and Richard Donner co-wrote that initial arc with him. So it's like, yeah, totally. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's really where that comes from. And I, I get that. And you know, I, I can, I can allow room for, you know, like different takes on it, but it's just, yeah, it's just a different take. That's how I see it. It's like, it's a different take, you know? Yeah. Like Zod, I feel like that arc introduces Zod when like Zod already showed up in like the Jim Lee arc, you know? So like, you know, it's all, it's all up for grabs, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, with the Supergirl arc, I mean, big picture, what did you think about them bringing back or, you know, introducing a post-crisis version of, of Kara Zor-El because for years, you know, we had other versions of Supergirl and, you know, Peter David had a, he wrote a lengthy series, you know, featuring the Linda Danvers version and there was a very interesting stuff there, but very removed from the, like the classic traditional interpretation of Supergirl. So at the time, I didn't really realize that like this was like such a big deal because like the Supergirl that I was familiar with was the one from the animated show. And I think that was his cousin on the show, right? Maybe yeah. it wasn't. I, uh, no, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm almost positive. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I think she looked like the Peter David one with the white t-shirt. So yes. like, I just assumed that like, cause like I, I, again, when I started reading comics, like on the regular, it was like right when this was coming out. So like, I just assumed this was like a reboot, like a new, like I, like I didn't realize it was as big of a deal as it was at the time. And I was just like, Oh cool. Yeah. It's Supergirl. Like, like, cause I didn't really read any of the Peter David stuff. Like I knew the visual, the white t-shirt and stuff, but like, I didn't realize there was this huge difference between them or anything. So, um, so yeah, like for, for me, it wasn't really at the time really wasn't like a, like the Supergirl part of it wasn't this huge deal. It was just kind of like, I just assumed it was like a, like a reboot of the, of the character, you know? And so, so Gotcha. Which is so funny because, like, apparently it is a really huge deal. <laughs> like, but, like, yeah. 
Well, it's, but again, I was like, what, 14 when this was coming out? So like, I, I had no concepts of it, you know? But you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I mean, again, you know, we're the same age and it's like, I, I did not grow up and, and, you know, even growing up reading the Superman books in the nineties, it's like, I wasn't, I mean, my Supergirl was that Peter David version of the character. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think I was still just excited. I know it's funny. I was like, you know, I wasn't a huge Michael Turner fan going into this. So that wasn't a huge, I wasn't a huge Kara Zor-El fan. It's like, what was I there for? I, I was just excited for the next arc of Superman Batman, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, like, like I said, I didn't, the only thing I at the time, the only thing I saw from Michael Turner was those flash covers. So when I remember going to the comic store and seeing this, this cover, like this one where they're like back to back, like, yeah. and I was just like, whoa, that looks so kick ass, you know? And like, it's just kind of like, like just, it just like, I didn't like, I didn't have again, 14. I didn't have like a huge tie to like any really any creator at the time, you know, but like that's when I was like kind of absorbing everything. And like when I saw it, like just like a few months prior is when I saw Jim Lee on hush and like, and then I saw this, I'm like, Whoa, this looks so kick ass, you know? Like, so it's, uh, it's yeah. I was at the time when like, I was like just discovering everything. It was like literally just like the face value, like that initial kind of like what covers are supposed to do is just draw you in, you know, that like worked on me, you know? And I think that, I think that's the strength of, you know, this story where I'm sure there were a lot of fans, right, who were older and they read the Silver Age Supergirl stories and they missed that version of the character and they were happy that she was back. And then you had us who had no attachment to the character, you know, or and very little knowledge of the character, right? I mean, I knew, yeah, I mean, I knew pre-crisis that, you know, Supergirl was his cousin. She died in crisis. That was, I mean, like, that was kind of it, you know, and um you know, now, you know, understanding a little bit more, and I'm curious because as later on in this podcast, I am going to reread or actually read for the first time uh, a lot of the burn stuff, you know, that introduced this version of the character. And, and uh, at some point down the line, I, I, I would be open to doing a reading of the Peter David series because I've only read a little bit of it here and there. I, w- I would be curious. But, you know, for years it was like, you know, she came from a pocket, you know, the post-crisis version of Supergirl was like this protoplasmic being from a pocket dimension who merged with a dying girl named Linda Danvers and they were like sharing a body and then they became an earthbound angel like it was really out there Mm. you know but that series I think has a lot of fans and they and Peter David who I'm a fan of I mean he did a lot of interesting stuff but I think this probably was the right move, like to bring back the version of the character that, that, uh, it's just so much cleaner and simpler, right? Like she's his cousin. And, you know, you do get this whole, you know, the emotional component of this of like, I thought I was the last one, you know, as much as, you know, he grew up with Ma and Pa and he has Lois and he says that in the book. It's like, I have people in my life, but Mm -hmm. you know, to still think you're the only person of a, of a doomed race, you know, and then to find out that there's someone else, I, I think there's a lot there to explore. And I think this is perfectly in keeping with Loeb generally, because like when he did his return to Krypton arc uh, on the main Superman books, uh, you know, that was toying with a, a pre-crisis version of Krypton in terms of the design and the uh, the behavior of the characters. Uh, and then, you know, we got Lex in the battle armor in the previous arc, and then we got this. So I think you see, like, a numerous instances where Loeb is, like, working a lot of that stuff back in. Yeah, but but it's not done in, like, a like a, like a hokey throwbacky way, though, which is, like, what, what I think is so, like, strong about these books now. Because I feel like, like, sometimes that's the mistake when, when people try to introduce those elements, those, like, old elements that, like, 
are like quote unquote hokey. Like they do it in almost like a, like a throwbacky, like comics, you know, kind of way. Whereas like this was done in like a way that was like grounded and felt like current, but like was introducing back those elements in, into that like grounded current, like approach. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. 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 I thought, I thought it was really well done. Um, I, I do, when you were talking about Lois, like I do wish there was more Lois in these trades in general. Like I wish there was like a little bit more of like their home life, you know, like Superman and Batman's like home. Like, I think it, like it would have been like a cool to have like a scene where like Bruce is like having dinner with the Kents or something, you know, like Clark and Lois in their apartment. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, just like, like not like permeated throughout, but just like, like one page, you know, or like, like them like hanging out with each other's like, like families and stuff. Like, I think that would have had some like good humor in there if they did stuff like that. But yeah, I, I had the same thought and I don't know if they just didn't have the real estate for it, you know, in these stories, mm-hmm. but I think it would have been cool. And, you know, it's funny cause they, they tease it, right. You know, like Clark mentions that Lois bought clothes for Kara, but like you yeah. don't get a scene between them. And then Clark brings Kara to the Kent's, but they're yeah, not like there. The, that that would have been great to have like the cat, like the, like his parents meet Kara and stuff like that. That would have been really cool. I, you know, I, one last thing about public enemies, cause this was something that I feel like was a little bit of a missed opportunity. Loeb ended his Superman run with Clark, uh, seemingly getting fired from the daily planet. Right. And then we find mm-hmm. out that Clark is actually working with Perry white, you know, under, you know, he's still working for the planet, but secretly to try to bring down president Lex Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it's never followed up on. And at the end of Public Enemies, you know, Bruce notes that, you know, Clark got to write the story about Lex's downfall, which is cool. But it's like I would have been it would have I would have loved like to have had a, a scene by Loeb and McGinnis of like Clark returning to the planet or something like that. Like just to give yeah. Clark that moment of victory. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's true. Like with the exception of that little scene in, in the Supergirl arc when he's with Kara, like that, like in the in the park and at the mall, like you don't really ever see like Bruce or Clark, like really other than that, like out of, outside of the costumes, you know, it's cause it's called Superman, Batman, not Clark and Bruce, yeah. I guess. But Which, which I mean, to, to be fair, it is comic book. So like, like as an artist, like you always want to draw them in the costumes, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, to be fair, like this would have been like a dream book to work on, you know, cause like just action and like, you know, costumes all the time. So I mean, there's that, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's true. Uh, let me ask you this. I, cause I, I, I guess I, I do have a specific feeling about this. Um, what do you think about Bruce and Diana's decision to, uh, basically force, to basically abduct Kara and take her to, uh, Paradise Island against Superman's wishes and without his knowledge, like that attack that they stage? Um, I don't, have enough of a working knowledge of what wonder woman's books were like at the time but like based on what she is now i feel like it's was slightly out of character but like i kind of liked like the warrior kind of like ass kicking wonder woman that was portrayed in this you know what i mean like the no nonsense like tough wonder woman like i i I prefer that version over like the the ambassador of peace wonder woman just because like again comics like it's not as like visually like appealing even though like the ambassador piece wonder woman is a a more virtuous character like i think there's something cool about the wonder woman with the sword and the shield you know 
Yeah. No, I don't. I, I don't disagree. Uh, I just felt like they they did him dirty, man. I just felt like that was that was. Uh, but again, it created tension. I, and I think it was you know from a yeah. story, but like it was interesting, right? And it gave them some stuff to to play around with. But I mean, it had that great cliffhanger too, when she, like Wonder Woman like is grabbing yeah. uh, Kara, and like that 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 splash page I think was the end of that issue. So like you had to like wait a month to find out what was happening. You know, like wh- why was Wonder Woman attacking them? Like I I think it added like good storytelling tension for sure. You know. Yeah, and I think too, you know, we needed to get to, or the characters needed to get to a point by the end of the story where they were willing to let Kara choose for herself, right? You know, Clark is ready to just take her under his wing and accept her, and Bruce is highly skeptical, and Wonder Woman wants to train her, and you know, we, you know, we <laughs> we go through all of this, and and uh, you know, ultimately she has to find her own path. So, I, you know, thematically, you know, certainly uh, it worked. I just just putting myself in Clark's shoes, I would just felt like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, dude, speaking of the Wonder Woman part, who is that character that dies on the beach that has like the blue and red, that like red mask? She looks, she kind of looks like Supergirl, but she's got like a red mask. And, oh, like, Harbinger. Yeah. Who is that? Harbinger. Like, she was, uh, she played a role in Crisis. Uh, she was, okay. you know, part of the, with the, with the, with the monitor. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't have, uh, I don't have the full, uh, <laughs> all the full details, but it's, but it's been a little while, but, uh, but yeah, that's, but that was her. Um, yeah, I, I never read Crisis, so that makes sense. Why, why I don't have no idea who that was. Gotcha. It's uh, you know, I I did it. I read it for a Patreon book club episode, like a, a probably a couple of years ago at this point. It was interesting. I read it in conjunction with Infinite Crisis, and they uh, they, they paired well. I mean, obviously, Infinite Crisis was really designed as a sequel to it. So uh, yeah, it's yeah. like as a comics fan, it's worth a read. But just f- keep in mind, you know, it was the mid '80s, and it was primarily you know, the, the whole impetus behind it was cleaning up continuity, not necessarily telling like a, you know, a tight, yeah. compelling story, right? It had other, yeah. it had <laughs> other objectives there, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, but uh, oh, there's something else that I was going to say that maybe it'll come back to me. But what, what else were your thoughts about the, the Supergirl arc? I want to ask like, so because this was like the Supergirl that like this version of the character, like, I mean, I would say this for the DCU in general, but like, this era is kind of like when I think of the characters this is kind of what I think about them. And like, we'll, we'll talk more in our Patreon episode about Robin and Superboy. Like we'll touch more on this, but like when I think of Supergirl, like it's this Supergirl, right? Like this design and costume and everything. And I know she's had like tons of designs since then. Like, is this the one when you think of the character, it's like, like this, the Turner version, or is it like, like the new 52 version or like the TV version or like the, the white t-shirt version, like which, which ones he was like the most iconic one. Definitely the TV one with the pants. No, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it. I think Melissa Benoist is a lot more comfortable. Uh, so, so there's something to be said for that. Uh, you know, to, to her credit. Uh, yeah, probably this. Probably this Turner version. Uh, if I'm being honest, yeah. I mean, like as much as the the post crisis, uh, you know, Linda Danvers, you know, of Peter David Supergirl. As much as that was like quote unquote my supergirl for many years uh and that you know the like the white top and uh, we got that in the animated series right so that is yeah. it, it definitely is iconic but no i think ultimately i land on uh probably on this like what we got in this arc if i if i really you know think about yeah. it yeah 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 me too and like like the, like i said the, like what you sorry like you said the white t-shirt's a close second because it was in the animated show but like i think when like when someone says Supergirl, like the first image that pops in my head is like the Turner version for sure. Like, and then, and then, um, and then the animated series. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, 
at both the beginning and end of this Supergirl arc, there's something that I really love. You know, the it begins, right, because at the end of Public Enemies, we have this, we didn't even talk about this, but right? <laughs> like the, uh, the plot point in Public Enemies is this kryptonite asteroid headed towards Earth. Uh, and, you know, of course, Lex blames Superman and puts a $1 billion bounty on his head. What was so funny, though, was that, uh, and I, I think it's Batman who points this out in the Supergirl arc, that, like, Lex was right. The asteroid was coming to Earth <laughs> because of Clark. <laughs> I do. I had forgotten that that was tied in to the Supergirl thing until I, because when I originally, because you know how like when you read them like as issues, and then when you read them as when the trades come out, there's so much time in between. Like I had never read all four of these like straight through like I did this week. So it was like interesting. I was like, oh, wow, that's where that because uh, like when I had read the trade originally, I just thought that like, Oh, it was an asteroid that fell to earth. Like I didn't realize it was like connected. Like, you know, I didn't connect the dots, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I totally get it. But you know, right. So the, the asteroid crashes and there's all these different variations of kryptonite, another silver age thing that, that Loeb brought back, you know, it's not just green anymore, but the, the fact mm -hmm. that Supergirl starts with all the world's heroes I and mean, we don't see them, but they're all working to, uh, collect this kryptonite to protect Superman and Batman remarks to himself. It's like only Clark could inspire this type of cooperation, you know, among the superhero community. So I thought that was a nice little touch that like everyone rallied around uh, to help with this project. And then similarly at the end of the arc where uh, Superman introduces Supergirl to the whole DCU. Yes. And, and again, I think it's Batman there too. Who's like, you know, we never get together for happy, for happy things like this. Uh, so I thought I like that, you know, both at the beginning and the end, the idea that, you know, of the superhero community and, uh, you know, for something, you know, other than a funeral or, you know, or, a, or a crisis. Yeah. I'm looking at this double page spread right now. And dude, it's like such a shame that Michael Turner never did a green lantern arc. Cause like his Kyle Rayner is like, on point you know <laughs> it is so on point like that was like so cool to see like him draw all the characters like hawkman like superboy and starfire and aquaman and stuff like uh, yeah so like I, I really like that was what was so cool about this like run in general is that Loeb like let put enough like things in there that like the artist like when you got to see ed mcginnis draw batman beyond for example you know like he like put so much other like big stuff in there that like you got to see these artists like, that would never get to draw these characters otherwise. You get to see them do it, which is, I thought was really cool. Yeah, no, for sure. I know. And it's like, uh, yeah, like that double page spread in particular. Um, yeah, I mean, it was so cool and, and such a snapshot of the DCU at the time. Uh, at the you time, know, I think yeah. we had, you know, we had the Teen Titans, I mean, the Outsiders, uh, you know, yeah. you know, Kyle is, is, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And dude, this is before Hal came back. So again, it's Kyle Rayner in that like, 2000 suit the one where he had like the white symbol on his chest but yeah. like the green mask and the green like the i think it was the jim lee design i want to say but right. yeah 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 that, yeah dude so good uh and then of course you know we spend a decent amount of time on uh on apocalypse uh which is always cool i always like uh yeah, again, going back to, you know, some of the arguments against Superman that we disagree with, you know, that he's too powerful and it's hard to come up with threats. I mean, I think the dark side works great as, you know, as, as a villain for him. And, and of course you get Batman like really out of his element, but still, you know, using his, you know, using his, his wits and, and standing up to dark side. Dude, I, I flipped to this page and like, I just wanted to bring this up. Like again, the dark side, it's like this shot where like Batman's got the, um, the Mr. Miracle like armor. 
Like, like that's like so dope. Like that kind of thing. Like we're like Batman, like you said, is like, he's so out of his element, but he's got like all this gold, like Mr. Miracle armor with spikes and everything. It just looks so cool. And he fights dark side in a fist fight. And like, again, it's like Batman, like is losing this. Right. And like, it's in his monologue, like he thinks he's going to lose, but he, he plays that gambit with the, with the apocalypse bombs on the, and like he gets dark side to back down, but like, the whole time you think Batman's going to lose, like, it's not like Batman's just like perfect, you know? So I, I really, really like that version, you know? Yeah, no, it was so cool. And, and yeah, very badass. And, and, uh, you know, cool to see him, you know, going toe to toe like that, you know, against, against all odds. Uh, yeah. I, you know, we mentioned before about Clark grabbing Lex right by the neck. And in this story too, when they're on Paradise Island and Kara's training with Artemis and, uh, you know, you know, Artemis puts her down and, and Clark intervenes. And again, he grabs Artemis by the neck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know what you and I had, we had a lengthy, very interesting, I think discussion, right. About, uh, you know, what, what Superman does in Snyder's man of steel movie, snap, snapping, uh, Zod's necks. I think he's got a thing with necks. Well, no, in, in volume three, he snaps Wonder Woman's neck. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's, he, uh, he was watching too many Steven Seagal movies, I guess, you know, like, he's like, that's the go-to move. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't um, bring this up with the Supergirl arc. Dude, the colors by Peter Steigerwald are like, gorgeous and like i feel like people don't talk about that the in general in comics enough they don't talk about the coloring enough but like with michael turner like peter steigerwald was such a a big collaborator with him like and he's such a huge aspect as to why this book looks good so i want to give the shout out to him because like he like made these pages like sing you know like with the the, the lighting and the mood and like all of it like so like all, all the the scenes are set with like the different emotions and stuff. So good, so so good. Right on. No, well said. No, I'm glad you uh, you gave him that shout out. It's well deserved. And uh, I mean, yeah, really all of these arcs, but probably the the Turner one most of all. Like just so distinct and just really mm-hmm. stands out. And uh, you know, uh, you know, again, whether you know you've been reading Superman for a while or you jumped in with this, it's like uh, really, really stands out for sure. Um, so, and what else about the Supergirl arc that, uh, they, that you wanted to talk about? Um, I think, I think we touched on a lot of it. Um, let me see here. Um, yeah, I talked about the, the, the coloring and the, the art styles. Oh, the, uh, I love when they go visit, uh, uh, Big Bart and Mr. Miracle's house. And it's just like, like such a normal, like, I mean, like a swanky house, like it's a nice looking house, but it's like, it's funny to see all of them in costumes in like a normal living room. Did you think that was hilarious? Yeah, like, that was funny. Yeah. And it's like such a, like, again, like, like it's a nice house, but it's like very like, oh, and there's like a, I want yeah, I want to point that out on the table on like the, the glass table in front of the TV, there's a little Aspen statue on the table. Like oh. I was, there's a little Easter egg in there. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. Um, but yeah. Oh, did you see in the, um, the when Supergirl is walking through the uh, the fortress, uh, the fortress of solitude, and Batman like yells at her, and she's like walking alone, and she walks past like a weapons rack. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the scene. Yeah, there's like there's a lightsaber hanging on there. There's like there's like weapons from like like famous weapons from different movies. Like 
strung up on the on the wall, which I thought was funny. Like like a cool like little visual nod, you know. That's cool. Yeah, I don't think I uh, I don't think that even registered, but I remember I do remember the scene as she's walking through the fortress. Uh, yeah, no, that's cool. You know, I mean, unfortunately, it's like you know we only get to know Kara so well you know, over the course of these few issues, like more of it is about obviously Superman and Batman's reaction to it and everyone kind of trying to control her and direct her and, you know, dark side takes her, you know, it's a whole thing. Um, there was a later issue that was one of those interlude issues that, uh, Loeb did with Ian Churchill. And then they went on to launch a new Supergirl series. They did the first, just the first arc. And then they, they passed the baton off to another creative team. Uh, so we're not going to be talking about that specifically here, but that's that's sort of on my long term list uh, as as because I do plan to you know really cover the Superman family in in, in its various incarnations. So uh, so we will get to that. But yeah, I mean, again, unfortunately, it's like you only get so much time with with Kara herself and to get to know her. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a cool arc and 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 just and and a you know gorgeous visually, you know. Yeah. I don't have, you know, look with this, these second two arcs, it's like, I don't have, I don't have a ton to say. I mean, the thing with absolute power, I think I kind of said what I needed to say about it. Um, and I think with that, with that one in particular, I think if we had spent more time with, uh, with that version of Clark and Bruce, where they've been raised by, you know, lightning Lord and cosmic King and right. If we had spent more time with them in their world, a la Red Sun or the Dark Side. Like, I think it could have been more interesting, but it's like we very quickly got to this timeline hopping. And it's like, I guess if if you, you know, I, and I'm sure there were fans who were like, oh my God, it's Jonah Hex or yeah. it's the Blackhawks. But I didn't have that reaction as I was reading it. And I just felt like it was, you know, not not terribly cohesive. And again, I just found it to be lacking that, you know, that, that heart and humanity. And I didn't feel like it really had that much new to say about what would happen if these guys were raised by villains. And so, I mean, that's kind of where I land on this one. Yeah. That, that one, like, again, like I, I don't really like the, the three lightning Lord and that were they Legion of superheroes characters. Like I was so confused as to who they even were. Like, yeah, I mean, they were, and to be honest, I'm not even exactly sure what, uh, if they were like alternate timeline versions or what, but I mean, basically it's like, you know, like lightning lad and, and, uh, yeah. Right. Well, no, but aren't those, aren't they heroes though? Those yeah. characters, that's why I was so confused by it because I was like, I thought these three characters were supposed to be good guys, not like evil. Yeah. I'm know? not, I'm not entirely sure what, what the origin story of these villainous incarnations yeah. uh, was, you know? Um, um, I did notice a couple interesting things that was one, I think the wonder woman design of that world, you know, where she's got like the stars mm -hmm. in her suit, like the Donna Troy kind of stars. I thought that was a really cool alternate wonder woman design. I thought like that's probably one of the best alternate wonder woman, one that wonder woman designs I've ever seen. I thought that was really cool. Um, but Oh, one thing I thought was funny was that I think this was written before green lantern rebirth. And like, I noticed that, the what has become established now with green lanterns when they put the ring on the ring the cost the ring generates the costume did you notice the uh the skeleton of like hal jordan that they got the ring from was like the costume was like cloth that was still on the skeleton and when the guy took the ring like it didn't generate a costume or anything it just like the costume was just like on i think it was on Abin Sur's skeleton oh yeah 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 i thought that was interesting because like it was before I guess, I guess Jeff Johns created that, that notion that like the, 
the ring when you put the, when you put the ring on the costume kind of like like kind of generates out which i just had always thought that was like what it was you know but like yeah, apparently not so right i thought that was funny yeah no that was cool and I, I in fairness there were a couple of things i liked about this story i did think it was interesting when you know superman and batman realize they have to set the timeline right and you know they're in crime alley as the as the waynes are about to be murdered and bruce stops it right like this is his one chance you know and he, and he takes it despite the ramifications to follow uh so again going back to your earlier point and what we've been talking about like where you see them as as people and flawed people and they don't always make the right choice uh mm-hmm. you know and that's an example of that and i th- so i thought that was that was cool and then you know when when everything is finally set right and you know bruce has to kind of come to terms with now this the fact that he's lived a life where his parents were alive and now he has to go back to the status quo like i mean i thought that was interesting you know mm-hmm. yeah um, that, that, that was interesting yeah for sure um yeah i feel like that was so weird because like it was weird because they made them like killers like in that <laughs> alternate timeline and, and then they said like that timeline still happens so it's like very strange like like I didn't like that one because it took them down a dark path that like I didn't really like, you know, like, like I like I like them to have like like problems and stuff, but like I don't want them to be bad guys, you know. <laughs> like I want them to be heroes, you know. So yeah, no, I know. Uh, the the other one other thing that I hate, I mean I hate to paint it like that, like the one thing I liked, but the, but I will say that I did I did enjoy the nod to the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, Superman, right? And so we didn't talk about this in Public Enemies, but we have these appearances in that arc and in this one uh, by an older Superman, a time, an older time-traveling Superman wearing the Kingdom Come costume. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and at the end of Absolute Power, when everything is finally set right, he reverts to the way we see Superman at the end of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow when he's given up his powers and he's adopted the Jordan Elliott identity and he's with Lois and they have their kid. Now, I don't know that we're really supposed to take that literally, right? Because the, that version of the character was the, that was the end of the pre-crisis version that was then erased in crisis on infinite earths. I think it was more of just a a nod, but either way, I think, but it was very I remember at the time I was like, because even at that, even, you know, in my teens, like I had gotten into whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and I thought it was a really cool story and it remains one of my favorites. And, uh, I remember it was so cool. And I remember one of my buddies from high school, uh, you know, I didn't have a ton of friends, you know, in school who were into comics, but he got into comics and he had a pull list at alternate realities and, and he got into it. And this was one of the books that he read and it was cool, a bonding thing. And, but I remember when this issue came out and like I chewed his ear off on the phone, explaining to him like the, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, and like how Crisis on Infinite Earths, and all this. And he was probably like, "Oh God, I don't really care that much," but uh, <laughs> but I was excited. <laughs> so I, I did. I liked that a lot. I thought that was cool. Nice, nice. Yeah. No, I actually had never read that book, so I was wondering what was up with that last page. So thank you for explaining that to me because it actually you, like makes sense now. Have you, now, and there's no shame here. This is a safe space, but you've not read Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow? No, no, I never oh, have. I do. I highly recommend it. It's uh, okay. Yeah, and it's only two yeah. issues, but it's it's. I mean, it's it's a classic and a great. I mean, it's and I think what's so 
amazing about that story is, you know, I read it, I read a reprint of it in the late 90s, having little to no idea about pre-crisis, post-crisis. Like, I, you know, I was a little kid in the 90s reading Superman. Like, I, I didn't really have any yeah. conception of that. And I still really enjoyed it. It's just a beautiful Superman story. So I, I do oh, recommend cool, yeah. it. But, but so that was a nice nod to that. And I thought, I thought that, uh, you know, that was neat. Um, yeah, I'll have to look them up on Comixology to see if they're, they're there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I think that brings us to our final arc here with, with Avengers. Yeah. This, this was a fun one, man. I, I know you didn't like it as much, but like I liked the uh, the Marvel, the, the DCified Marvel characters. You know, like Soldier is supposed to be Captain America. Like it was fun to like place like who was supposed to be who. You know? Yeah, that was yeah, that was cool. I liked. Now wait, I'm sorry. I know you said this before. Had you read any Emperor Joker or not at all? <sighs> yeah. Okay. So. So I like that. I like that callback to Emperor Joker, right? Where we find out that uh, a lot of what's, or basically everything that's been going on has been this like chess game between Mixius Pitalik and, and the Joker, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in a callback to, to that uh, Emperor Joker storyline. So I feel like I thought that was cool. Uh, Yeah. The Marvel analogs, you know, were were interesting and they they certainly had fun with that. Um, But I don't know. What else, what else did you, what else did you like about the story? Let me, let me, flip through it here um I, I know that i love seeing batman beyond like just seeing edmund get a strong like like to me that was the fun part of this was like like the the bombastic action but then also edmund guinness just drawing like like the the red sun superman you know like yeah the, okay i i didn't like the bizarro any of the bizarro stuff bizarro is a character that drives me nuts with his dialogue i just can't take the bizarro speak so like that was a little much for me but like the rest of it, like I thought was really cool. Like when you see all the Supermans flying in and all the Batmans, like, and all the different versions, like like Batwoman and stuff, like it was really cool. Like I thought all that stuff was fun. So here's the thing. I, well, I, oh my God, I'm a hundred percent with you on the Bizarro. So there's an episode, uh, you haven't heard it yet because it's not out yet as of this recording, but by the time this episode comes out, <laughs> uh, people will have heard uh, an episode that I did on my comic shop book club about uh, Daredevil, uh, Guardian Devil, and Green Arrow Quiver, the the uh, Kevin Smith stories. And I say in that episode, I can't, because Kevin Smith used Etrigan in his Green Arrow story, and I can't stand the rhyming dialogue of Etrigan, and the Bizarro speak is in the same category for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you there. It kind of, it really just annoys me more than anything else. I don't yeah. mind like a little of it in small doses, but when it's like literally everything they say is backwards, it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I actually found myself just kind of like not even read it. I got to a certain point between Bizarro and Batsaro. I wasn't even reading their dialogue. I was just kind of like looking at their picture and moving on because I'm like, I just, I, this isn't going to make sense to me anyway. It's wasting time trying to like go through it. So like, I'm not even going to like read it. Like, <laughs> I, I gave up trying to figure it out. I, I mean, I read it, but like it was more of a skim when I got to their dialogue. I was just like, I, you know what? I don't. Yeah. And I hate using this phrase because it's kind of douchey, I think. But like, I don't have I didn't have the bandwidth. I didn't have the internal yeah. bandwidth to, yeah. be, to be like, all right, I'm going to try to like, figure this out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so. Well, I, yeah, that, that was like when they talk in Kryptonian. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I have like I know they put the the like the the legend in the back to like you can match it up yourself but i'm like i'm not doing like i'm just yeah no like i'm just blown right past i'm just like in my head they're going blah, 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 like you know what i mean like I, you know one of the guys at, at alternate realities he learned the kryptonian alphabet and it's like that's great if you want to do that I, you know i 
I was with you. Like when I read that scene in the fortress in the Supergirl arc, I was like, all right, like. Well, is the Kryptonian alphabet just the American alphabet? Like, do, do, do they speak like basically American? You just switch the symbols for like, or not American, English, sorry. I think. Wow, I sound like an idiot. Not- <laughs> no, in English, is basically in English, but they just like switch the symbols for like A is like the symbol, B is the symbol, and like all the words are basically English words, but like. I think I've never studied it myself, so I'm not, yeah. I'm not positive. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's funny too. Although I never did the Kryptonian translation, but it's just funny. I think you know, like as a kid reading it, it's like oh, like trying to figure out what they're saying. Now it's like, let's go. <laughs> like, yeah. and, but it's yeah, like you yeah. know, you, you let the art tell right, and the art tells a story, and you see their body language, and then you know they explain to Batman right what happened. So you're fine with yeah. uh, with the vengeance storyline. So. I'm with you to a point where, I yes, it was cool to see all of these other versions of Superman and Batman and their family of characters pulled together, right? Like, yes, there was, like, as a fan, there was an aspect where it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And it was cool to see McGinnis draw them. And, and maybe that's really all it needs to be. I guess it's just there wasn't room for any, like, meaningful interaction or development. Like, it was just there and it was action. It was fine. It just didn't, I wasn't. I yeah. just didn't find it so compelling where, you know, one of the versions that they pull is, is the, uh, the, you know, the reign of the Superman, you know, Clark in the black costume. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, like, I don't cool. know, maybe if there had been a scene where the two of them spoke, you know, about, uh, coming back from the dead. I mean, I don't know, just something like that. I just, none of that was there. And I don't think there was really any room for that. And that's not the story they were telling, but I just, I wasn't so grabbed by it, but it was fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I do think like narratively, this is probably actually the weakest. Like I think the, um, the volume three is like had more character development and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, but this one I just thought was more of like a fun, like, like just like bombastic fun time, you know, like, um, because I thought volume three was like just a downer, like, and like, <laughs> the, and well, and also Carlos Pacheco's art is very like, like realistic, like, like it's very grounded in realism. And like, I like, like personally, I like the art that's more like stylized and like over the top and like, and then that's why I like really like Ed McGinnis stuff is cause it's like, it's so like, like you're never going to get this in a movie. You know what I mean? Like, like they'll never be able to approximate this like in real life. Like you can only get this through Ed McGinnis, you know? So like, that's like one of the things that like, I really did do like about like this last volume, you know? Yeah, no, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree. And, you know, in fairness, I I think, I mean, I think I do have some genuine gripes with Absolute Power, and I've, I've shared that. I mean, I, otherwise, though, looking at those two arcs, I think ultimately they just weren't the type of story I was looking for. And that's not really, you know, that's not a story critique. It's just like, it's just not, it's just not the story that I was looking for, especially because there's a, ver- like, you know, Loeb has a couple of different styles and, you know, I love the for all seasons, you know, style of Loeb and the the Marvel color books that are real bittersweet and nostalgic and, and character centric. Like when he really writes from the heart and, you know, the first couple of arcs, I think you get a nice mix. You get a little bit of that, but you also get the big action. And that's kind of what I was hoping for more of. And I felt like he just really leaned into Again, the action, the timeline jumping, the reality hopping, and it was just, you know, a different type of story. Uh, you know, fun in its own way, but yeah, not as, you know, not not as meaningful or as impactful. But 
but but again, fun and and well drawn. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, like like this whole series is well drawn. Like all four of these volumes is like there's not like a bad like page on any of them. You know, they're just so like gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Like, um, like the, the the last two volumes are definitely more spectacle and less less of the character. Um, there was something I wanted to say. And now, now I forgot. Like I was flipping through this, and now I forgot. Maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. yeah. No, no, that's that's quite all right. Yeah, if it comes back, you just you know jump in. Um, you know, we we end on. Oh, I I did feel that the end of with the vengeance was real, real rushed. I you know I don't know yes. if they anticipated having like extra pages or or what. But that thing is wrapped up real fast, and uh, Superman yes. and Batman don't even have a full page together. It's like like half a page, and then we get Mixie and Darkseid um, teasing a future team up that, unless I missed it, yeah, I don't think, I don't ever, think ever ever came to fruition. So yeah, yeah, no, you're right. This actually does end super abruptly. <laughs> like you would have thought that since this was Loeb's last issue, like this. This this would have been like the last page, like just the two of them, like a big like, yeah. you know what I mean, like them like like big like splash page with Ed McGinnis drawing, but like yeah, it's it's funny, it's a it's definitely interesting for sure. Um, oh, what? It's on the tip of my tongue. What I was gonna say now? Like, oh, dude, do you like that they're playing with the hero clicks? They're not playing with chess. They're playing with hero clicks uh, pieces. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, the nice shout out to the early two thousands when those were. I mean, I, they still make them, but like that's when I think they were like first came out. Like I remember getting my first box of Hero Clicks. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I never, I never collected or played, but you know they were big at the comic shop, and so I saw them all the time, and I, you know that was kind of my exposure to them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that brings us to the end of of the major arcs. Um, there's one more issue, issue twenty six, that is not part of our discussion, but. Uh, it was an issue plotted by Jeff Loeb's late son, Sam, mm. and then uh, Jeff and a host of artists and, and other writers completed the issue. And uh, honestly, yeah. it's like, I can't, it, it breaks my heart even even contemplating the loss that that he suffered. And I, I don't know. So I, I didn't even have it in me to, I remember reading it at the time. It's a beautiful issue and it's a lovely tribute to his son. Um, mm. And it's a fun Superman Batman issue, you know, in its in its own right. But I didn't, I don't know. I'll be honest, I didn't have it in me to. It made me sad. Yeah, I know, I know. I I remember that one too. Like I I actually like I I remember I bought that not knowing it. Like I remember I bought the time because Michael Turner did the covers. He did the, 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 there were two covers to that, and like one was Robin standing on like the Superboy like symbol. And then one was like the two of them, like Robin and Superboy, like jumping forward. And like, I bought both of them be- just because like, I like, I was like, Oh sweet. Michael Turner drew another issue. And like, then when I got into, when I opened it up and like, I realized what was going on, I was like, Whoa, this is like such a, like, it's like so emotionally like wrenching, you know? Cause like, I didn't, I, again, like I didn't realize that his son had passed and then like, I found that out and like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's really sad for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so that so, so that's actually the final final issue of of the lobe run on this, but uh, but those were the main arcs that you know that we discussed, and you and I are going to do a Patreon bonus episode uh, about uh, Superman Batman number seven, uh, the uh, Robin Superboy Toy Man issue uh, drawn by Pat Lee. So I think we'll have a fun conversation that'll be out uh, two days after this episode uh, on my Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. There's a lot of fun extra episodes. So hopefully uh, you'll, you'll join us over there. Is there anything else that you want to say about the Superman Batman run before we jump? 
if you like Superman or Batman and like have any interest in you, and if you haven't read these books, like if you're younger than us, like if you're like of the generation like behind us and you started with the new 52 or rebirth or like, if you're like, or you just started reading comics, like with that era and you haven't read these, I strongly recommend going back and reading these four trades because you said what it's issues one to 26. Is yep. that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Or if you go on comiXology or wherever you can find them, like they're, super fun, super like just action packed, like kick-ass versions of Superman and Batman that are also very relatable. So yeah, I, I can't recommend these enough. And like I said at the beginning, like if I was going to recommend reading to like people who don't, who have never read Batman or Superman, like comics, I'd be like these and then hush and birthright. Like that would be like my, like, like I know people always like say like, Oh, give people who never read comics, like, like Batman year one and dark Knight returns and Watchmen, But no, for me, it's like this and like hush and birthright. Like, yeah, no, I, you know, I get what you're saying. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I echo that, that plea, you know, if you've not read these, you know, they're, I mean, I don't know that you would have listened to us talk about it for two hours, but maybe you would, I don't know. But if you haven't, if you haven't read it, you know, really please do. It's again, you know, just kind of summing all of this up. I think the characterization of each character Batman and Superman individually is is strong and and really an iconic take on each character and what you get out of that interaction uh, is, is just so rich. I think it's a uh, you know the dynamic that's explored between Batman and Superman um, you know is, is really interesting and is a great encapsulation of of these characters. Um, and it's, you know, it's a run I remember very fondly. I knew from the beginning we, you know, we would get to this on the show and it was a lot of fun. Honestly, even though I was kind of split and I didn't love the second half as much, it was a lot, it was so much fun revisiting the entire thing. And especially those first two arcs. I remember there was one when I was in the middle of, uh, like I think public enemies, and uh, like my wife came into the room and like, I had like this huge smile on my face uh, with my iPad reading these. And, and, you know, that doesn't always happen when I'm, you know, when I'm reading comics. I mean, I, you know, I like what I read, but like, I just had so much fun, you know, and it brought me back to like when I was in high school and they first came out. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm yeah. a fan and, and I, I really enjoyed these. Totally, totally. Yeah, it brought me right back, man, for sure. Yeah. Felt like I was a teenager again. It was great. <laughs> well, thank Ken, really, thank you so much uh, for, for taking part in this. Uh, it's always it's always so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on. Like, I, I love coming on and talking Superman with you. And, you know, it's been a blast, like I said, going down memory lane with this. And, yeah, it was awesome. Thanks again for having me. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, find me on Twitter at at VK Marion and on Instagram at V Ken Marion. Uh, yeah. And check out all the stuff I post. And if you want to get a commission, um, I mean, my contact info is all on my, uh, my social media handles, but it's, I'm ref by modern mythology, comic book art. So if you go to their website, um, modern mythology, comic um, they've got a bunch of my pages for sale and you can get sign up for commissions. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of other artists up there too, so check out what they've got. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find all my work. Right on. All right, we'll be back with an all-new episode in two weeks. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to My Comic Shop History, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive additional content including the Digging for Kryptonite companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, 
out now on Apple TV and Amazon.